This week on Punch Mountain, Pop Quiz Hotshot, a crazed madman wants $3.7 million or he's blowing up a city bus and all of its passengers. What do you do? Well, no, it's not your money. Okay, well, enjoy the rest of your day off. Stare straight ahead and try to look whipped because we're watching Speed. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We do not make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I am joined, as always, by the man who couldn't slow down, Mr. David Hotta. That's a compliment, right? Yeah, I think so. David, now, you're kind of like this movie that we're going to talk about tonight, Speed. Uh-huh. And, and not so much that if, if you travel over 50, but if you reach over 50 years of age, you explode. Is that correct? That's what I'm looking forward to right now. That's my retirement plan, essentially. That's all we can do now. Thanks, government. Spelled with two Bs. Happy exploding to you. David, do you remember the television program Dinosaurs? I sure the Jim do. Henson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> when you get too old and you can't keep up anymore, you get hurled into a tar pit, I believe. And they called it hur- Hurling Day. Yeah. The main character, Earl Sinclair, was really looking forward to hurling his mother-in-law uh, off a cliff, but uh, they decided not to do it because in, in that show, David, they they learned lessons. What's the lesson? That's a great lesson. Hurl me, Mac. Fire me, boy. <laughs> I hope you know, speaking of the tick, I almost introduced you as, joined as always by the evil Midnight Bomber with Bombs at Midnight, Mr. David Hada. Wow. But I was like, no one will get that stupid reference. Speaking of references, David, let's reference the movie that we are going to talk about on this episode. We're talking about Speed from 1994, starring Keanu Reeves. The summer blockbuster of 1994, directed by Jan DeBont. I'm excited about this one, Mac. I'm more excited than than I was when I recommended it. Now, David, it's worth mentioning that Speed is one of our Mountain Slayers picks. Mountain Slayers! And what are those again? Those are going to be the movies that we think stand an actual chance of making it near the top of the mountain. So we did... Jurassic Park, we've done hard-boiled, so we're going to keep this going with 1994's Speed. I'm going out on a limb with this one, but I- I've got a good feeling about it. Yeah, we packed the middle pretty fat recently, so we, we're going to go uh, pack the tip. Get a real nice fat tip at the top Oof. of the mountain. <laughs> don't. I know. I'm laughing because I also hate it. <laughs> David, opening thoughts about the movie Speed. What is your history with this movie? Is it, this is not your first time seeing it, I, I assume. This is not my first time seeing it. This is going to be another opening day for me. This is going to be the summer of 94, Commerce Park 8. I went by myself, and then my brother showed up as the credits were starting, so we watched it together. This was a pleasant surprise at the time. I was a little skeptical about it. I was, I was almost too cool for it because I was not a big Keanu Reeves fan at all at this point. You know, because my, my exposure to him was Bill and Ted and Point Break. And in both of those, he's kind of this, you know, surfer dude. And, you know, it was very easy to make fun of in the 90s. But by the end of this movie, he, okay, because don't get me wrong. He's still that California, hey, bro, kind of guy in this movie. But he charms me. This movie charmed me. Watching it again for the mountain sort of made this movie shine anew. It really emphasized how much action is going on in this movie. What's your experience with this one, Mac? What's your history with Speed? I remember this movie being a big deal when it came out. And you were much more up on stuff than I was. Because I remember being like, Speed, who's that? Keanu Reeves, who's that? Later finding out that he was from Bill and Ted. And that blew my mind. I was like, is this the Bill and Ted guy? Because I guess Point Break, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I guess I just don't remember seeing those. Or they just went over my head. 
Or maybe I didn't see them because they were rated R or something. I saw this, you know, when it came out, even though I was not of age to see an R-rated movie. Um, I think one of my, but my, I know, but my friends like had a, bought it on VHS or something. We watched it a lot. But since then, David, I've kind of forgotten about this movie. David, do you think Speed has become overshadowed by Keanu Reeves' other franchises? I mean, are you on the same wavelength that Speed is kind of like a semi-forgotten about movie? One hundred percent. Yeah, it kind of felt like I was doing a little crate digging by by selecting this one. God bless Keanu Reeves. He seems like one of the greatest human beings. I hope I'm not wrong years from now. For him to have so many different career-defining roles, credit to him for that. So this could have easily been somebody's career-defining role. But like for him to have The Matrix after this and then John Wick after that, I'm okay with it getting buried if you look at it from Keanu Reeves's filmography, but if you look at this from like an action movie or a 90s movie perspective, there's no way this movie should be buried. We're, we're fucking up by forgetting this movie. All right, before we go any farther, I think it would help to clear up some common questions, David. If you search speed on Google, the results include these frequently asked questions. So let's do some quickly provided answers. Hurry, David, fast, this, this bus is gonna explode. David, what is a simple definition of speed? What? All right, I'm gonna go as simple as I can. Mac, why is movie speed rated R? It's kind of an outdated rule, David, but if a bus features too many unmarried people, that's an automatic R rating. How old was Keanu Reeves in speed? Old enough to ride the bus, you know what I mean? I don't. Mac, what streaming service has speed? Well, right now it's Amazon. Oh, it's, now it's Hulu. Oh, it's just too fast, David. No streaming service can hold it. All right, before we board a bus that can't slow down or it'll blow up, let's board a friendship that if it speeds up too much, will die. What? David Hada, it's a friendship check-in. David, how are you? We never did go to that couples therapy like we said we would. <laughs> Man, speaking of, <laughs> this is a good segue. Because Karen Gillan, star of the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, she had a, put a picture, I don't know, on one of her socials. And she was like, oh, hey, this is, uh, I forgot I had a couples therapy uh, session over Zoom. And I forgot I scheduled it and I was like still wearing my Nebula makeup. And so it's a picture of just, you know, three people in different Zoom squares. And she's, you know, kind of half done up as, as Nebula, you know, wearing a blue face paint. Way to casually talk about how you were in couples therapy. I saw the same post and I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, I hope they're okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if I was a partner, I'd be like, don't tell people I can't stop yelling at you. This is what your fucking problem is. Learn some boundaries, Nebula. <laughs> I'm assuming the dude has got an anger problem. I don't know why. I See, I would not have even assumed that if. I hadn't known this. Yeah. All right. Well, enough about me, David. That's I'm, I think we're caught up on what I've been up to. Enough about How are you? you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm doing all right, Mac. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm missing Austin right about now because as we what? Really, you know, Mac, I don't get too sentimental about too many things Austin these days. Yeah, you really shouldn't. David, hand on the Bible tonight. I was walking in downtown Austin and somebody was now walking across a crosswalk fast enough for this driver who wanted to turn and he honked at the person walking. David, that person was walking using arm braces. Oh, God. Their uh, legs were not uh, at 100% operating order. And this person was like, they're moving already. You're faking it, I guess. Ah, David, this place is terrible. But you miss it for some reason? <laughs> I miss it for one reason specifically, and that's going to be the Paramount Summer Film Series, which is starting up as we release this. It's going to come out. This is going to come out around Memorial Day weekend. Mac, I always used to check this lineup every year. I decided to take a peek at it and see what the lineup is uh, this year. It's a killer lineup, Mac. Do you know what's playing this coming Saturday, May 27th at the Paramount? Speed? Heat. Oh! 
Wow. Watching a movie that long in those super uncomfortable Paramount seats? Sign me not up. But it is a killer lineup if you are the kind of person to get out of the house. Consider supporting the Paramount Theater this summer. But joking aside, seeing a great movie in a, a big, beautiful theater on a, on a big screen like that is, is a great opportunity. So yeah, I, that'd be awesome to go see it. And how are you, Mac Blake? David, I almost quit this fucking podcast this week. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with you. You are great. Uh-huh. And I love the people listening and I love action movies. What happened though, David, is I went to go see the movie Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Mm-hmm. And the next day, I was with my son, and we walked into a toy store. There's this one on South Congress. I won't give its name, but it's Monkey See, Monkey Do. And when we walked in, one of the clerks was talking to the other clerk very loudly about his thoughts about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Super loud. Like, you could not escape it. Like, we walked all over the store, and it's like someone had turned on a podcast really loud. And they were listening to someone else talk about a movie and give their terrible opinions about it. Uh, I was like, is this what I sound like on this podcast? Because if so, I'm done. Because I can't can't inflict this onto someone else. So what was this guy saying about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Well, David, he liked the fact that Guardians of the Galaxy Volumes 1 and 2 stuck to specific time periods with their soundtracks. Hmm. However, this movie, because the soundtrack did not come from a cassette tape that a character's mom made in the 80s, it came from a Microsoft Zune, which had music selection from the 70s and the 2000s. That the music was sourced from a, a lot of different years, not a, not a certain decade. And he referred to this as problematic. And I don't mean he thought it was problematic as in like it was offensive. He, it was offensive to him. He's just like the fact that it, just, it really couldn't stick to a theme in terms of music. Like, oh, it began with this really cheesy cover of Creep by Radiohead. David, that was not a cover. That was Tom York singing the song. If, <laughs> if you don't like uh, Radiohead's uh, acoustic version of Creep, take it up with Radiohead. And he didn't like uh, at the end of the movie. I don't want to spoil anything, but it ends with uh, some sort of a cathartic moment. Some characters dance to the Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine. And uh, he he didn't like that at all. But at the end of his little conversation, he goes, but overall, it was like a pretty good movie. And I was like, wait, hold on. He liked this movie. And all he did was complain about it. I was like, you know what, though, David? That's not what Punch Mountain is about. We like movies, and we talk about why we like them. That's what we do. We're like the antidote to this piece of shit. And also, this is a podcast that we, like, squirrel away on the corner of the internet. If I knew if somebody was, like, listening, like, uh, like uh, over- eavesdropping into a movie opinion of mine, I'd shut the fuck up. Oh, the second someone calls us on an opinion, I'm going to be like, I never said that. And they'll play the, <laughs> the episode back to us. Like, that's not me. I don't know what you're talking about. All right, real quick. I know we got some questions coming in instantly. What were we buying in the toy store? My kid wanted my little pony. Question number two. What did I think of the final scene of Guardians of the Galaxy where Florence the Machine song played? Uh, I fucking cried my eyes out, David. Oh. Uh, which I thought I was going through some... Something weird, but then I find out on the internet that a lot of people cry during that part. I don't know. Something about characters dancing at the end of the movie who've been through some stuff. I talked about it in The Woman King. I like it. Well, congratulations. I'm glad you're cured. It res- <laughs> cured, cured me of what? You realized that you were crying and other people were crying, so you weren't alone. Oh, okay, good. And if for some reason this podcast gets back to that clerk at that uh, toy store, yeah, I've declared war on you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to come in there and knock over your dioramas of uh, featuring uh, Marvel action figures. No. Yeah. I mean, I look, I love a good Marvel action figure diorama. Don't get me wrong, David, but that's every war has its casualties. But David, are you ready to hop on this bus? Are you ready to do this thing? Mac, have your exact change ready. We're going in. David, for people who have not seen this movie or who may have not seen it in a while, can you give like a uh, back of the box description? Just a level set. 
I would be happy to. Hold on tight for a rush of pulse-pounding thrills, breathtaking stunts, and unexpected romance. <laughs> I didn't read this out of time. Unexpected romance. Okay. Sure, yeah. No, it's true. It's true. It, it's not untrue. Yeah, no. it's not untrue. It's not a lot I mean, of it. It is the most unexpected. It yeah. caught me by surprise until right now. Breathtaking stunts and unexpected romance in a film you'll want to see again and again. Keanu Reeves stars as Jack Trabbit, an LAPD SWAT team specialist who is sent to defuse a bomb that a revenge-driven extortionist, Dennis Hopper, has planted on a bus. But until he does, Jack and passenger Sandra Bullock must keep the bus speeding through the streets of Los Angeles at more than 50 miles per hour, or the bomb will explode. A high-octane chase of suspense, non-stop action, and surprise twists. Speed is a joyride sure to keep everyone on the edge of their seats. 1994, 115 minutes, directed by Jan DeBond, rated R. That's solid. Yeah, it's a pretty good back of the box. Can't remember the character's name in this movie, Jack Traven. I remember when they said it for the first time watching the movie uh, recently. Everyone's like, Traven? And I wrote that down. Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> Looking at it now, I was like, Traven's such a weird name. Is it one of those names that's like backwards? You know what I mean? Like in uh, uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, there's the classic Marvel comic books character, Namor, Namor. Uh, the uh, king of Atlantis. And I was like, well, I remember at some point I realized that uh, Namor was just Roman spelled backwards. And I was like, oh, it's Travern. I thought I like, cracked a code here. But no, backwards is this is Nevart. So, mm, nope. No, I just, when I remember seeing it before hearing it. I was like, yeah, Jack Traven. And then I heard Traven. I was like, you're absolutely wrong, movie. Okay, Dave, before this movie even starts, we get some very cool opening titles. Did you like these opening titles? Did you not care? How'd you feel about them? With the exception of the actual title itself, because Speed was presented in a weird font that is not the box art, this was a pretty good opening credit sequence. You know, we're going down an elevator shaft. I, I did not know we were going down an elevator shaft. I did not even know I was supposed to be paying attention. When I first watched it, I was like, this is cool. It's very, like, calm and serene in a weird way. But then that music is kicking in. It is going for it. Yeah, I like the the title card when the music, the letters came in, because it, like, made a noise and then the... Let her zoomed out of there. And when that happened, I'm a sucker for good title cards, David. So I started to get excited. And then when we get that first like uh, music hit from the soundtrack. That was my first markout moment. Because with this soundtrack, David, I had forgotten all about it. Like if you had played me this soundtrack, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a classic. And you'd be like, where was it from? I'd be like, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. But as soon as those notes hit, I was like, oh, shit, the speed soundtrack. Like, I forgot about its, like, little musical cue. So, yeah, I marked out. Shout out to composer Mark Mancina. And I was like, what else has this dude done? He's done a whole bunch of stuff, including Moana, which, I mean, I don't know if you're a fan of Moana, but the music in that movie is great. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, I, I, I thought about that, too. He did an awesome job throughout this movie. It's like watching the 5 o'clock news. Like, everything is action. It's really fantastic. Yeah, and I was digging these credits, and then... Uh, after a while, I was like, oh, we're still in this fucking elevator shaft. <laughs> <laughs> after we get it, and we definitely got it, and you can stop now because we get it, these credits still kept going. But eventually, David, the movie starts, and how does it start? We're going to find out that we are following an elevator for a busy office building, and we find out that it's rigged with explosives by thumbless madman Howard Payne, played by Dennis Hopper. After blowing the cables on the elevator, Howard demands $3 million or he'll blow the elevator's brakes. Time for SWAT team hotshot Jack Traven, played by Keanu Reeves, and his reluctant partner Harry Temple, played by Jeff Daniels, to come to the rescue. It's our first action set piece we'll call an elevator that some would describe as too fast. Jack hooks up the elevator to a crane and is able to evacuate the passengers before the elevator crashes to the lobby. 
Jack pursues Howard and takes out his hostage Harry, but Howard escapes and blows himself up. Rest in peace, villain of this movie. David, I got to take you to task. You said something that was a little inaccurate. You described him as a thumbless madman. He has one thumb. <laughs> that is true. I And I didn't mean to call attention to it, but the movie sure loves to, so I figured I'd mention it now. First time I saw this movie, until somebody pointed out that he had lost a thumb, I was like, wait, what? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but David, isn't the whole thing with Dennis Hopper pretending he only has one thumb? Isn't he just like tucking his thumb behind his hand the other time? It's not like they used uh, like some sort of green screen thumb sock. No, they do. They put a prosthetic over his thumb. He's just tucking it in. So really, he should have been like, oh, I need this $3 million for my chubby palm surgery. Yeah, he's he's for a super bitter guy. And we'll learn more about him later. I, I expect him to be a little bit more disfigured. No offense. But David, this movie starts hot. This movie starts hot. This movie starts great. The first explosion in this movie happens five minutes into the movie. And I... I wrote that down. I was like, wow, five minutes. But then I was like, no, that actually, it happens quicker than that. It's just been four and a half minutes of credits. So like, really, 30 seconds into this movie, there's an explosion. But David, when we first meet our heroes, when the cops are called to the scene, how do we meet them? Kind of like that opening shot of Star Wars, the 1977 movie, where suddenly like spaceships come in from the top of the frame. We see a city street, LA, and then the car ramps in from the top of the frame and lands. David, this is ridiculous. Why was that car catching so much air? But I do not give a shit because I loved it and I fucking marked out. It's great. If you're going to make an action movie, every shot imaginable should be action-oriented. If you're going to have a car driving, make the car drive the hell out of it. I, I think it's great, too. Except, like, it's too great because I'm watching this with a bombshell and we both looked at each other like, this isn't San Francisco. This is the L.A. Yeah. transit system, right? <laughs> so, like... We're, we're going over a hill already? Come on, guys. David, in the extended version, you see the uh, opposite side of that, and they just ran over somebody. So <laughs> they ramped up uh, over a corpse. Well, it wasn't a corpse at the time. So, David, uh, Joe Morden is there. He's like their captain of the police. Is, uh, he goes by the name Mac, uh, which I got to say, as far as movie Macs go, a little forgettable. But he's like giving the lay of the land to his SWAT team. He's like, all right, here's what's going on. Uh, we got a guy with a bomb, blah, blah, blah. And we meet Keanu Reeves and his partner, Jeff Daniels. So we meet Jack and Harry. And David, the first thing I noticed about Keanu Reeves' character, Jack Draven, is he needs to shut the fuck up a little bit. Oh, my God. Baby Keanu Reeves is upsetting, not only because of his attitude, but just because he's baby Keanu Reeves. Like, he's too smooth and he's too young. Uh, that sounds gross. I apologize for that. But he's also a total smartass. Like, this is a very serious situation. There is an elevator full of passengers that's about to crash. And they're going over their strategy for it. Someone even says, is there anything else that'll stop the elevator from falling? And Jack's response is, yeah, the basement. And like, it is too early to establish you as the asshole, Jack. Yeah, and then they're like, all right, any more questions? Like, yeah, I mean, my, my partner volunteers to go look at it. <laughs> People are going to die, bitch. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Which, on my little, small little bit of research in this thing, Wikipedia, I read that, that after Keanu Reeves took the role, the character went from being like more of a John McClane kind of smart ass mm. to where we see in the beginning of the movie to what we see in the majority of the movie, which is a very earnest character that just kind of wants to help people. And he's like a little polite. So this feels like a remnant of that earlier draft of the script because yeah, he's like overly smart ass in this thing. Once we get going, he comes down and he's like very polite, too polite almost. I want to give this movie credit because Jack, the character does go through that growth. Like he is cutting up early on. He's confident because he knows he's going to save that elevator full of people. But then 
as tragedy happens, you know, as he experiences more and more explosions, he's, he cuts the shenanigans and he's more serious. So, like, I give the movie credit, but uh, watch yourself, Counselor. This is very early in the movie. And David, I was very excited to see the screenplay. This movie was by Graham Yost or Yost, Y-O-S-T. How would you say that? I say Yost. Because he's done some TV shows I really liked. He, I think, was the executive producer on both Justified and The Americans, some super entertaining shows. But then, David, unfortunately, when I look stuff up, it seems like most of this movie was rewritten and like 90% of the dialogue was written by Joss Whedon. I saw that. I saw that, which, you know... Probably my least favorite thing about this movie is the dialogue in it, so that tracks. Yeah, knowing what I know now about Joss Whedon and stuff, I'm just, he's not a dude I want to go out of my way to compliment, so I'll just say whoever wrote the scenes I like, good job, I guess. Yeah, you know, I never really liked his stuff to begin with, so it's an easy transition for me. Screw this clown. I liked Avengers. (laughs) David, as Harry and Jack go about trying to set up a, a crane or a winch, to slow down the elevator if it does indeed fall because Jack looks at the way that the elevator is rigged up with explosions. He's like, Harry, no, he's going to blow this thing. He's going to blow it regardless. We got to stop this thing. Let's go find whatever we can find. See, that's bad dialogue right there. (laughs) But as they're going about this business, I was like, man, this movie looks cool. And then I was like, all right, Yandabon's a fucking cinematographer. Of course this movie looks good. So, I mean, that's the thing about this movie. This thing's good because they just kind of... stripped it down. It's not overly complicated and everything in it is pretty much done well, including the acting. So yeah, uh, uh, spoiler alert, I'm, I'm already digging this movie. It takes a movie like this to notice the importance of cinematography because, you know, an action movie could very easily be bland in quieter moments like this, you know, where two guys are just standing around talking, but the shot selections, the composition, it all works in a dynamic way so that even in the quieter moments of this movie, you're still engaged. Yeah, I haven't like done a study of Jan Debon's film, but I mean, you'd, you'd think that because this is his first movie, maybe as a director, that maybe he was like, I'm going to make this thing extra good or something like that. But I don't know. He brought his A game. Well, he wasn't also the cinematographer, was he? Oh, that's a real good question. Let me look on the internet. Uh, Andres Barkowiak. I will give you no credit, Andres. All's going to Jan Debon. No, good job, you know, doing your thing as well. Mac, he directed Exit Wounds. Oh, very good, I guess. But David, as this time limit is drawing near, that Dennis Hopper's like, yeah, I'll give you the money, I'll blow it up. The uh, Joe Morton, Mac, he at some point is like yelling into a phone. He's like, get the money now. Like he's, he's already starting to panic. David, would a cop ever say that? No, I don't know if the cops are ever in any rush to collect money to give away. It seemed very panicky for a SWAT team leader. To be like, oh, this isn't going to work. We need the cash. Well, you know, but I'll say this. Going back to our last Jedi episode where one of my favorite line reads was Adam Driver. Bless that piece of junk out of the sky. You know, he took a line and brought it. Joe Morton saying, I need that goddamn money right now is kind of in that ballpark for me as well. But meanwhile, you've got Dennis Hopper. He's running the service elevator. He's close by. And he's got, you know, his remote out, his stick that's got, it's got the trigger for the first set of bombs, you know, that blew the cables. Then he's got a trigger that's going to blow the brakes. And these are all labeled, Mac. And I was watching the movie and I was thinking, man, I hope the police don't find this. That's That would really be a slam dunk case when they, when they get to trial. Yeah, he really did not trust himself in the heat of the moment. He could have just put them like A, B, and C. And he's like, all right, A is for this. And he's like, no, clearly labeled him. Maybe that's something he learned on these years in the police force. Oh, spoiler alert, he's a cop. Oh, damn it. But David, Dennis Hopper hears that our officers are trying to get the passengers off. And he blows the bombs early. So the elevator falls. And so here we have the action set piece actually kicks into action here. 
So singling out the elevator scene as an action set piece, it's kind of funny, David, but just because the entire middle part of this movie, all the time they spend on the bus, I would call that just like one action set piece. I mean, that's kind of the genius or appeal of this movie is that the premise is a setup for an action scene, right? You're absolutely right. You take something like a disaster movie or a survival movie that has that same setup where the movie is just you're following these people in this moment trying to survive this moment. And so to take that premise or to take that concept and ratchet it up to where it's a bona fide action movie. Holy Lord, man, you've really got something here. So the elevator falls, but thanks to the work of Jack and Harry, it does not fall all the way to the ground. And they cut to the bottom floor where some cops are standing. And when the elevator, when the bombs go off and the elevator starts falling, and it doesn't hit the ground. They cut to one of the cops. is like, does not usually fall all the way down now at this point? And I was like, you jaded fucks. How many years from speed was the Rodney King uh, beating? Two. Oh, doesn't surprise me. These LA cops. A-C-A-B. All cops are bombers. Well, I'll tell you what. It's funny you mentioned that. That actually clicks a lot of things into place because there is a lot about this movie that feels like it was made, forgive me, but it feels like it was made for the flyover states. Like, hey, isn't LA like this? And and to to see apathetic cops falls right into that. Flyover states, you coastal elite fuck. I'm sorry we make your food, David. <laughs> the heartland of America, Mac. <laughs> yeah, just because we hate everyone. <laughs> and we want to force our religion on people. No. Okay. Well, I mean, yes, that's true. But David, here we go. The action's ramping up. We're getting the passengers off. And the whole time, this is like a tension machine, right? Because the elevator is like, uh, uh, uh. it's starting to fall like a little bit in increments. And we get uh, some lady gets helped off the elevator and we see very clearly she's wearing a thong. I remember in middle school, I think my friends and I high-fived over that. So, I mean, <laughs> I wrote down my notes, butt shot, exclamation mark. Uh, but there's one lady, David, who does not want to get off this elevator. And she's like, no, I don't want to. I'm too scared. He gets her off just as the elevator is falling. And I think it you think it might cut off her foot, David, but actually just like takes her shoe. Yoink. It takes the heel off of her, of her high heel. Yeah, this is awesome. You know, I'm watching it with the bombshell and we're both really tense about this scene because, you know, you're watching the elevator drop and then it'll stay steady for a little bit, drop a little bit more. And that window to get out goes from a sliver to a good open window to you better get out now or else you're going to get split in half. And the entire time you're, you're rooting for everybody to get out. This is awesome. Dennis Hopper here, when his plan goes awry, he's fucking pissed. And you see very clearly in this movie, they look Dennis Hopper. I mean, that guy is like a, you know, he's an art house film legend, right? And you think he might be phoning in this movie because it's a, a major studio payday, a, a villain in an action movie. I don't know how much he got paid for this movie, but I assume it was more than like, you know, uh, for Blue Velvet. And if you think for a second that Dennis Hopper might not bring it 100%, you're fucking wrong, straw man who made that argument. <laughs> he brings it every chance he gets in this movie. He's, he's all in. He does. And when you get a Dennis Hopper who is into the material and into the job, there is nothing like it. You know, compare this to, what was it, Mario Brothers that came out the year before this. Look, that movie's not any good anyway, but like he knows it and he's he's mailing it in this is a guy who wants more work and he is auditioning for the 90s and he is passing the audition so they get all the passengers off and they're like no wait the bad guy he's here and sure enough he is they track him down the freight elevator there's a really cool gunfight on top of an elevator and it eventually ends up in a situation where our evil bomber is holding jeff daniels hostage he's got him like right you know behind the he's holding him by the throat he's got an arm around his neck and he's got a bomb and he's like oh man i'm gonna blow this dude up if you get any closer keanu reeves cop 
But David, earlier in the movie, for some reason, just to pass the time to shoot the breeze, even though they really have no time or breeze. It's like, imagine if two paramedics are giving somebody like, you know, they're shocking somebody with the paddles or whatever, or giving someone chest compressions. And they stop momentarily and I'm like, hey, real hot pop quiz. You know, it's like, no, you guys, you need to fucking do something. Imagine you're in a worse situation than this. <laughs> yes. Uh, Harry, again, played by Jeff Daniels, asked Keanu Reeves uh, what he would do in a situation where if a gunman was holding a, uh, a hostage and he was uh, like 100 feet away or something like that. Uh, I'm screwing it up, David, but here, tell you what, here's the actual dialogue. All right, pop quiz. Airport, gunman with one hostage. He's using her for cover. He's almost to a plane. You're 100 feet away. Jack. Shoot the hostage. What? Take her out of the equation. Go for the good wound and he can't get to the plane with her. Clear shot. You're deeply nuts, you know that? Shoot the hostage. (laughs) And so this pop quiz thing, David, is going to kind of play throughout the movie. Now, Dennis Hopper's character was listening in on them with a listening device. So then when Dennis Hopper has Jeff Daniels hostage, he throws this dialogue back in to Keanu Reeves' face. But Keanu Reeves finds himself now actually in this situation where there's a a hostage being held and the hostage is a liability. So, David, what what is Keanu Reeves' solution here? Uh, His solution is to pass the pop quiz by shooting the hostage. And I remember watching this in the moment. It was awesome, you know, because with an action movie, it's so easy to fall into a cliche. So anytime you see something new or inventive, it really hits. So to see Jack Traven shoot the hostage after he said he would shoot the hostage, this was kind of awesome. Watching it now, not so awesome, but still pretty awesome. Yeah, so he shoots Jeff Daniels in the thigh. <laughs> it's like, I guess he can heal from that because if he shot him in the leg, you know, and he shattered his shin bone, that would be worse. And I guess there's no great place to be shot. I guess, I guess that's my problem here. As long as Harry consented to it, because he's even like, Jack, shoot the hostage. Okay, I heard you, right? You said shoot the hostage. So it doesn't matter after that, wherever you shoot him, shoot him in the face. So Harry slumps to the ground. And as Jack charges in, our bad guy, evil bomber, escapes out a door. The door blows up, sending Jack flying. But I guess our heroes have saved the day. And so we'll move on to some celebrations on behalf of our heroes. Uh, So later that week, I guess, I don't know, Jack and Harry receive awards for their bravery. And we find out that Howard is still alive. After getting Jack's attention with a casual bus explosion homicide, Howard has new demands. 3.7 million or he'll blow up another bus, but this time the bomb is activated once the bus goes over 50 miles per hour, and if the bus goes under 50, the bomb will explode. No problem here, says LA's freeways, but the bus manages to get above 50 miles per hour, and the bomb is activated. Jack's got to get on that bus by any extreme means necessary, much to the entertainment of the bus's passengers, including the fun and flirty girl next door, Annie, played by Sandra Bullock. Let's start at the top here. Our heroes get their medals, and then here we see them in, I guess, like a uh, post-awards dinner at some bar. Everyone, all these cops are dressed nice. Dave, this is a lot of celebration for what I thought was not catching anyone. I didn't even realize this, that they all assumed that the bomber died. Oh, yeah. I did not get that uh, the first time or this time I watched the movie. It's because there was no body, because he didn't actually die. This movie lives in a universe where if a bomb goes off, you just get decimated. Like. And he even says it throughout the movie later on. It doesn't pay off in, in the first act. His bombs are so explosive that, you know, they'll be scooping you up with a spoon or something to that effect. Yeah, they don't count the bodies is what he says. But I think they would count it if the body count was zero. 
So, I mean, just a throwaway line. That's my uh, one punch up right now. A throwaway line later on where he's like, I'm alive. I threw my bomb vest over a <laughs> some banker or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, but that wouldn't work because then they'd be like, hey, where's this banker's gone missing? Oh, he, he, <laughs> he got exploded. I don't know. I was surprised that everyone thought he was dead. These cops are not great. I, I, I just assumed the award ceremony was more for the rescue of everybody in the elevator and whether or not the villain died was just inconsequential, but eh, who knows? Yeah, but I guess not. I guess they also thought that they uh, they killed or that dude died. But they're celebrating it afterwards. They they go out to a bar and they get gloriously drunk and they're you know doing their toasts and and uh, and Mac toasts uh, Harry says you know for your bravery for your courage and then he toasts Jack and he says and to Jack for shooting Harry and everyone has a big laugh about it. I had the same problem with Jurassic Park, Mac, where people laugh through trauma. I know it's a human reaction, but like, hey, man, Jack really did shoot me. It's probably best not to joke about fucking shooting me. Yeah, and then and Harry at the end is like, all right, guys, I'm going to go home and have some sex. With who? <laughs> isn't he married? Well, if he is, why isn't his wife at this fucking celebration for him? Because she's sleeping with another guy, Mac. Oh, you didn't read the novelization of Speed? Oh, hold on. Wait, is, is it based on the book Speedy and the Cuck? Is that what it's called? <laughs> based on the Elton John song. But the next morning, we see Keanu Reeves at his local neighborhood coffee shop where everyone knows each other. David, I've never had a place like this in my life. But you know what? That's probably on me because I'm not friendly. Uh, he even meets like a bus driver who's like, hey, I'm a bus driver. Last time I got that drunk, I woke up married. The implication is my wife is ugly. That feels like a Joss Whedon line. All right, this is starting to make sense, Mac. And that bus driver's like, I got to go get on my bus and start driving my bus route. And hopefully my bus won't explode. But David, that very exact thing happens. His bus explodes. He's driving down the road and his bus explodes, which is very impressive. Because then you just have this fireball going down the street. You know, I didn't even think about it until this moment. But... Is Keanu Reeves supposed to be hungover? Yes, yeah, so is Harry. Ah, oh, that fucking sucks. So Keanu Reeves rushes after this exploding bus to help anyone, but no, there's no helping anyone, David. I th I got the feeling that the bus driver was the only one on the bus because it was like the start of his route. Me too, yeah. The funny thing here is that Keanu Reeves is getting close to the bus. He can't get too close because the explosion only slams is like so hot. He's kind of having a realistic reaction to heat, which is not usually what you get in action movies because in action movies, like our heroes are fireproof. They run into fire all the time. But this one, he starts to get closer and he's like, and he's kind of like, you know, being pushed back by the heat. And even though this is more realistic, it's still funny. It's not like the flames are like licking at him or something like that. The ring of heat is invisible. So it just looks like Keanu Reeves is like kind of a Dracula reacting like, son, I don't know. Maybe because Keanu Reeves has a little bit. Of, he's great, but he's still a little stiff. So uh, I, I liked it. He's a little stiff, but it's also a little impossible. And this is one of those. I, I reacted to it, too, because bless his heart. He's trying to act off of the death of his friend, the bus driver. But he's also acting against a flaming bus. So it's one of those moments where you realize these people are just actors. And like they have to feel silly sometimes where it's like. Oh, no, Bob. Oh, can we cut? This feels stupid. <laughs> but David, a payphone rings. That's weird. Yeah, so Jack's going to run over there. He's going to answer it. And of course, it's going to be Howard. Howard's getting ready to start this game. Mac, are you answering a payphone that's just ringing in the middle of nowhere? Mm, absolutely not in this situation. If I was like walking and a payphone was ringing, I might pick it up and be like, hey, look at me. I'm going to make a joke or talk to this person. But if I'm doing something like uh, dealing with this bus explosion, I'm not like curious about my world around me. You know what I mean? I'm with you. But see, the bombshell said the same thing. And now I feel like I'm in the minority because it's the one thing I miss about the, the demise of payphones. 
Every ringing payphone was a path to adventure, Mac. Are you kidding me? Some stranger sending you on a deadly game of cat and mouse? I'd miss it so much. Well, yeah, if I was not already on an adventure, I would be like, oh, here comes an adventure via this payphone. But with the bus exploding, it's like, I already got enough of my hands, I would not answer the payphone. But he does, and it is Howard, the bad guy. And he's like, uh, pop quiz or whatever. And then he starts this cat and mouse game. David, which I got to say again, we haven't even hit the 30 minute mark of this movie counting credits. We've already started our deadly game of death. This movie is fast paced. And it's extreme too, because Howard could have delivered his message in any number of ways. A clown puppet. Uh, a bouquet of dead flowers, but he blows up a bus. That's the kind of movie this is. We're going to tell you stuff with explosions. And we already get a sense here of the amount of work that Howard had to put into this scheme because he had to like follow Keanu Reeves around and be like, all right, well, I guess he goes to this coffee shop every morning at this time. Let me figure out the number for this payphone. But Dave, when the, when the bad guy Howard starts to outline his plan, he mentions the time. It's 8.05 a.m.? Mm-hmm. Good God, it is way too early for this shit. But also the fact that this movie takes place over like one morning. I think they're done before it's even noon, maybe? Yeah, pick up the money by 11 a.m. Yeah, that's right. I kind of like it. That's <laughs> just the idea that like someone sleeps in one day and be like, oh my God, you can't believe you missed this thing. But the thing I like about this movie, it doesn't drag it out. It cuts to the chase. A perfect example is when Howard does call and he says, pop quiz, there's a bomb on a bus. What do you do? I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Jack's response is to say, I'd want to know what bus it's on. You think I'm going to tell you the bus? And Kennedy's like, yes, I do. And he's like, okay, yes, good. This movie doesn't need to dilly dally. If you want to get on the bus, let's get on the goddamn bus. I think it's great. The thing about it, though, you mentioned the amount of time that it took Howard to set this up. He's got a scout. He's got to find out Jack's routine. He's doing this in as revenge for botching the, the elevator job. He even mentions in this phone call, he says, that elevator job took two years of my life. Mac, how long do you think this bus job took him? He, it just happened last week, the elevator job. I think he was just so mad. He used that anger as a motivator to just really speed things up. But yes, this bus plot is far more complicated than that elevator thing. <laughs> like, that must have been plan B. And he was like, you know what? This bus thing's great, but it's too much. I'll just go with the elevator thing, which is a shame. I have it all set up. I have it all ready to go. Let's just do the elevator. This might have been something he set up in, like, 1987 that I just forgot about. I was like, ah, oh, the bus ploy. Yeah, I think that should have been another punch up. Is at some moment he like forgets something and looks in his files and it's like elevator, bus, hot air balloon. And then maybe it's like cruise ship. And he's like, no, that's more of a speed do thing than like puts it back. Because that's what happened in speed two, David, a cruise ship. There was a speed two? No. But David, we cut to this bus, this bus in question, and it's driving away from a bus stop, leaving a passenger behind who is not at the bus stop in time. David, it's Sandy B, Sandy Bullock, America's sweetheart. Oh, the only person that a bus would ever stop for, because Mac, I don't know if you've ever ridden public transit on a regular basis, but they don't give a fuck about anybody. In my experience, if you are running towards the bus and waving at it, they will sometimes wait for you. However, if the bus has already started driving and you do that thing, they ain't stopping. They ain't stopping for no one. But David, yeah, even though I knew this was going to happen, honestly, it still feels ridiculous, the fact that the bus driver stopped. It's one of the most implausible things about this movie. But Sandra Bullock gets on the bus, and we start to meet the other passengers of a bus. Oh, God. Being on a bus where all the passengers are like, hey, I guess we got to talk to each other. No, you fucking don't. <laughs> uh, we meet Alan Ruck, right? It's Cameron from Ferris Bueller. And his character is a tourist. And he's like, yeah, I'm a tourist. <laughs> Me in the big city. And the way he's talking, is this guy an alien, David? 
either an alien or a, a foreign agent because there's a lot of like I am here on Los Angeles for a trip. Look at all the big city. Like, yeah, it's very sus. I mean, you get the idea that he's like, I don't know, some like nice Midwest guy, a little out of his element for sure. But if I was going to like CLA, I don't know if I'd ever take a bus. It's the movie saying, yeah, only yokels take the bus, I guess. I don't know. But David also on this bus. Oh, no, it's a sparkle motion lady from Donnie Darko, who I feel like this lady plays like a religious character in every movie. And I was like, oh, man, this lady early favorite to somehow go insane. Beth Grant is her name. Yeah. Yeah, she kind of plays like a lot of stick of brass characters. Mm-hmm. Well, Mac, I've been on buses that get on the freeway. Uh, San Francisco has a lot of buses that get on the freeway. And if you've ever stood on a bus, like if you've ever been on a crowded bus uh, going on the freeway, it is low-key one of the scarier things you could do because you're just standing up in a vehicle that's going 60 down the freeway. So at least this bus isn't crowded. At least everyone has a seat. At least there's plenty of room. Like, I, I can I could take a ride on this bus. But Detective Jack Trevin manages to track down this bus, and how he manages to do it is he commandeers a car. And the this car, David, is driven by actor Glenn Plummer. I think he's credited in this movie as car owner. <laughs> uh, Jaguar owner. Jaguar owner. And David, what does his license plate say? Did you? I think we both noticed this. Uh, yeah, his license plate says Tune Man. So there's a whole other story going on with this movie. Mac, who is Tune Man? I want to know more about Tune Man. In my mind, that was the movie being like, he's a music producer, so whatever, something bad happens to him, it's okay. Which, I, I don't know why I had that impulse, because I was like, wait, why would I think it's okay to hurt a music producer? Like, why was that my reaction? Because he's got money, and he's an important guy. That's what the movie wants you to think. Oh, okay. But I mentioned that a lot of people got a lot of run or some play or some pop from Speed, including this actor, Glenn Plummer. Because I remember seeing a commercial for a Fox TV show where it was like Brian Bosworth and Speed's Glenn Plummer. And I was like, whoa, Speed's Glenn Plummer. Whoa. I was like, wait, am I remembering that correctly? And I went and I looked it up. And yes, David, the show was called Lawless. Uh, after the first episode aired, the show was canceled. <laughs> <laughs> it literally aired once. They shot six episodes. They did not air the rest. The <laughs> ratings were so bad. So you guys don't know how lucky you have it with your Netflix. Because, like, for example, you a show was on once, you liked it, it didn't get enough ratings, fuck you forever. You'll never see the rest of it. Well, you heard what happened in that episode of Lawless, right? No, tell me. Oh, I can't tell you. They had to cancel it halfway through the episode. <laughs> oh, my God. It was, it was so sick. Oh, hold on. I read about this. Yeah, I was like, Brian Bosworth, I think he skinned a guy. Okay, see, that was the start of the episode. So, yeah, by the time you get to the middle where Glenn Plummer's eating the carcass, yeah, you got to cut it off. Oh, my goodness. But David, Detective Jack Travern, right? Travern. That's his name. It's unwieldy. <laughs> he, does, he does manage to board the bus by jumping on it. And, and David, I, I, I looked this up. That was Keanu Reeves. He did his own stunt. No kidding. Yeah, Yandabon was like, do not do this stunt. And Keanu Reeves like practiced uh, on his own when he wasn't when Yandabon wasn't watching and he and he fucking did it. You start with grocery carts and you work your way up to a bus. <laughs> yes. But uh, man, I'll tell you what, like, even though it is preposterous, like, why are cars still driving behind Toon Man's car when they once you see Toon Man's car lose its door, it's time to pull over to the shoulder, I think. Yeah. Keanu jumps onto the bus, whether it's Keanu or not. It's still a stunt person. Someone still did it. That's still fucking awesome. Then Toon Man goes crashing into water barrels. This is going to be my first mark out moment. This was just an impressive sequence of events. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So Travin is now on the bus. He informs the bus driver what's going on. And now ooh, we're, this movie, we're, we're in it. It's time to do it. 
Oh, my God. Yeah, he makes it onto the bus, and then he's going to tell the driver. But panic ensues when passenger Ray, played by Daniel Villarreal, thinks this relentless super cop is out to get him and pulls out a gun, accidentally shooting the driver Sam, played by Hawthorne James, in the process. It's Annie to the rescue who takes to this Class B vehicle like a pro. Jack relays information about the bomb to Harry, who suspects our bomb maker may know more about bombs and police than we think. <gasps> so, Mac, this chunk's going to start with Keanu kind of trying to calm everyone down. Annie, Sandra Bullock, has a Karen moment where she's like, I demand answers. You tell me what's going on now. And it's like, hey, this guy just jumped on the bus. Why don't you let him dictate the pace of this one? Ray, you know, he's a criminal. He's got some history going on. Pulls out a gun. I love this de-escalation here. I think this is the moment where I start to buy into Keanu Reeves as Jack Traven as the, as the lead of this movie because he's just like he's a chill dude. Like, hey man, I'm not here for you. All right, whatever you did, it's cool now. I'm sure you I'm sure you feel bad about it. It's like this is entertaining. We're still on a bus going 50. I'm into it. Yeah, this definitely is where you get the idea that his character just wants to help people and keep people alive. He's shed his like cocky veneer at this moment. Maybe it's because he's overwhelmed and he's forced to like step into the moment and you know and just sort of fully embrace everything he needs to do here. But yeah, when he's de-escalating it, he's like, well, "Calm down, we're just two cool guys." For some reason, I thought that was really funny. Yeah. I kind of wanted that to keep going. Like, we're just two cool guys. If we weren't here, we'd be definitely back at my place. Sega Genesis, Sonic 1 and 2, I got them both. You can play as Tails. Really making sure they're really cool. But there's a scuffle, the bus driver gets shot, and then finally Jack is able to like tell, like, hey, everyone, here's the deal. And this one dude who I looked up because I thought it was Scott Speedman for a second. Oh. Because it's just like this generic, like, long-haired California guy. Mm -hmm. When Jack tells the bus passengers what's going on, this guy had a, an interesting reaction. Oh, his reaction is to respond, some funny joke. Hey, man, this isn't a joke. Some guy just jumped onto your bus going 50. Ha ha ha, you dummy. Yeah, I think this is after someone got shot. <laughs> that guy's so panicky. I'm going to call him Peter Panic because he mm. fucking panics <laughs> just the drop of a hat. But Annie, she took over the bus wheel, right? And she's doing a good job. She's doing a great job. She... She is fearless, like the low-key fearlessness of being able to get behind the wheel of a bus going 50 and have no problem, like, because there's a moment coming up where, you know, it's like, stay, stay on or get off. You know, do I stay on the freeway? Do I keep going? Or do I, you know, pull off the road? Jack tells her to get off and she's just boom, 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 you know, hitting cars. Like, that would have been enough for me to be like, I'm out. I'm done. Somebody else take this. But she is cool as a cucumber. But the fact that she is going through traffic and she'll sort of, you know, hit, she'll hit a car and she'll say, oh, excuse me. Oh, sorry. It's very cute for the movie. But if it's me, I'm on that horn and I'm staying there forever. This movie is called The Horn That Would Not Stop. You know, we didn't say this is our action set piece, but this is the action set piece we'll call Speed the Movie. <laughs> the thrust of it. Ken Reeves is like, he calls Harry and Harry's like, all right, tell me what you see in terms of the bomb. And he's like, I'm going to open up this panel on the floor of the bus. I'm going to look underneath it. And you, Alan Ruck, hold this uh, walkie talkie. Uh, you relay what I'm saying to Harry. I was just thinking like if I was in this moment, and a cop was like, all right, I'm going to look for the bomb. You, Mac Blake, you help me. I would be such a good little boy in that situation. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I get to help, yes. And I'd be like so serious. I'd be I'd be wanting to do such a good job. You know what I mean? I do. And afterward, I, had, I would hand it back and be like, I'm glad I was able to help you. We're in this together. Like I would be. It's one of those things where it's like, what are we doing? Oh, wait, I can help in some way? Yes, I will, sir. Like I just, just give me a little dog treat. That's all I need. 
I think I would be the exact same way, and then when I was done, I would vomit my guts out. Was the bomber's name again Howard Payne? Yeah, Howard Payne. Yeah, who's, who's not insane like Charles Rain from Passenger <laughs> 57. So this movie's got a lot of implausibility in it, but for some reason, the character of Howard Payne, his stuff tracks. Like, we find out later he was a cop from Atlanta, Georgia, David. That's the South, where maybe college football is bigger than pro football. Mm -hmm. So right here, as we come back to Howard Payne's headquarters, wherever he's set up with all his monitors, he's watching the news feed on some TVs. And over on the other TVs, he's like watching a football game. And in my notes, I wrote down, huh, this is too early for the NFL. Thinking like, this must be college. And it's weird, David, is because that comes into play later. The incidentals with this character, like they ground them in some way. Like later on, he sees, he calls Sandra Bullock a, a wildcat because he sees her University of Arizona like hoodie. And so the fact that his like instinct would be like, oh, Arizona Wildcats, that's their football team. Let's go ahead and set a, establish he's a college football fan. This movie oddly meticulous about some things. I'm so proud of you for sticking with that thread because I gave up on it immediately. I had the same thought. I was like, it's nine o'clock in the morning. What is this world league of American football? So I completely dismissed it, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a better movie. Yeah. I mean, if it is on the West coast college football, you know, in order to get like the TV coverage, they might have an early start time. So yeah, it might be on at fucking 8am on a Saturday on the West coast time. Also later on, he's cause he's from Atlanta. You see him drinking some Coca-Cola, David. That's what they, that's, that's where Coca-Cola is from. But Mac, you, you just mentioned it. You know, we do find out a little bit later that, Howard was an Atlanta police officer, and he's doing this to kind of exact revenge. 2023, this hits a little differently, but I remember in 1994, like, a cop turned criminal? I couldn't believe it. This was so, this was so unique. Yeah, because Harry is talking about his bomb, and he's like, this is, this is weird, though, because he uses a different kind of explosive. With most of the criminals we use, like, they, they have one method of making bombs, they stick to it. Do we cut this other officer, who I guess must be Howard's hype man, because she says this about him guy has no ammo. A bomber falls in love with one kind of bomb and they're very monogamous. This guy uses C4, dynamite, different trigger every time and now he throws in this watch. He's an encyclopedia of bombs. He knows every kind. Yeah, and everything we do to dismantle it. Okay, all right, I guess. You're really impressed and he's really impressive. She is, she is the number one fan of this guy already. But Mac, Annie and the bus thankfully get a police escort, but not before some fun driving into oncoming traffic and possibly obliterating a baby in a stroller. It was just cans, Mac. It was just cans. Cans. Jack negotiates with Howard to allow the injured Sam off the bus, but when another passenger tries to get off early, Howard shows everyone he means business. Bomb business. It was a relief to see the police escort come because any opportunity I can get in this movie to make things easier, I will take. Because as this movie goes on, it makes everything significantly tougher. So I was like, oh, like, I think I might have actually said it out loud. I was like, thank God the police are here. So the bus is on the freeway, but it reaches a traffic jam. And there's at a, at a moment where there's an exit ramp. And so Connery's like, get off, get off. And then they go into the city. David, is this, am I stupid? Is this movie too stupid? I feel like going 50 miles an hour in downtown LA that seems real hard, right? Yes and no. And I think this is where I was appreciative of the police escort because that bridged the gap for me. Like, oh, as long as you have a police escort, you can go as fast as you want. So I was able to buy that. But also, you know, I, I made a joke at the top of the show where like LA's freeway systems are notoriously gridlocked. So I was surprised this bus even got up to 50 to activate the bomb. So it didn't surprise me that getting off the freeway was, was an option. By downtown LA, I just mean non-freeway LA. I mean, I've, I've driven in LA a little bit, 
and not, you know, I don't claim to like know the city or anything like that, but it just seemed like being able to go 50 the whole time would be a real tall task. And also looking at the bus, it, it seemed to be going slower. Did you get that impression at all? I was hoping that Jan de Bont was such a stickler where he was like, I will show no footage that is under 50 miles per hour. So I was hoping that they kind of had that governor in their mind when shooting. But no, it looked like it was kind of going at a leisurely pace. Yeah, that was the impression that I got while watching it was I was like, this really doesn't look like it's going that fast, which I feel like in this movie, that's something you shouldn't do. That's another punch up (laughs) is this bus needs to go fast at all times. I mean, I get it that look, we're on the bus. We've set up the problem here. And now here come all the speed bumps, right? You know, not literal. Like here comes all the little like things we're gonna have to deal with. They hit the baby carriage that's full of cans. Cans. I remember that, of course. I remember he's like, it's cans, it's cons. Cans. But what I did not remember was the egregious foreshadowing. Because as the bus is driving through town, for no reason we cut to shot of a lady pushing a baby carriage and then we cut away from it immediately. Like there's no reason why you'd show that. Unless you and the audience are like, why did you show that? Why did you show me yeah. that baby carriage? Like, it's just, it's egregious foreshadowing. And then, of course, when he hits it, it's, there's no baby inside. It's just a bunch of cans. cans. And the can lady's pissed. But in a movie like this, like being in the theater, I love hearing the murmur of people as they start to get it. It's like, oh, there's a good, oh, you don't think. Like, <laughs> like, as they piece it together, that's, you know, the communal moments of a movie. Uh, that's what this movie hits. At some point, Jack calls back to Mac, the, his SWAT captain, and he says, Mac, we're boned, <laughs> which I have to say, I found the we're boned, I don't know, oddly, like, refreshing in a way. I don't know, the dialogue was dumb, but it felt right for Keanu Reeves. It had an earnestness to it. Like, okay, I'm on board with this movie. When Jack, Travis, and Annie are talking, and he's like, who is this guy? It's like, what did he do? And it's like, is he mad at us? And it's like, no, he's mad at me. She goes, what do we do, bomb this guy's country? It's like, geez, <laughs> all right. This movie was pre 9 11, I guess, where we had no, we didn't have any sympathy for the people who we were indiscriminately dropping bombs on. Well, I think it's just domestic terror was not on the table at this point. So it was like, what could it possibly be? But Mac, you're talking about them having the conversation. This is a quiet moment of dialogue, just two people talking. Mac, how many minutes of this movie are not action? Like, I want a supercomputer to figure out how many moments of this movie do not have someone or something in motion where it's just, we're sitting down, we're talking. Uh, yeah, not a lot. Cause it, it does feel like every moment of the movie, it's like some plan is in motion or are working to fix this, or we're, we're in like crisis mode. So you have very few sort of like, all right, let's just pause for a second. Like it doesn't seem to happen a lot. Now, David, there, one of the cops in this movie has a lot of dialogue and I believe his name is Norwood played by Richard Lineback. I definitely noticed him in the movie because I was like, wait, is that Randy Travis? No, it's not Randy <laughs> Travis. He just kind of looks like a bunch of people. He does. He he blends in, but his performance comes off like Bill Paxton Light, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Every line he delivers has some importance to it, some urgency to it. Uh, in fact, let's just give a taste Maybe right Maybe he's now. a cop. Lieutenant, it's him. He wants to duck to Jack. So like right there, it's a very easy line. He's just trying to let Jack know, hey, someone wants to talk to you. But the panic in his voice is something else. You're right. I think this dude does give a lot of like exposition kind of stuff or like a lot of like transitionary dialogue in this movie. And it never feels forced. He always manages to sell it in just the right way where it seems very natural. So you're right. Good job, Richard Lineback. But going back to a point you had uh, just a minute ago about Keanu or about Jack's earnestness, you know, saying, oh, we're boned. That's That felt like a real moment. There's another moment in this chunk right here where 
they get off the freeway, they're driving through the city, and then they have to hit a hard right where, you know, how can they possibly stay above 50 miles an hour and make this really sharp turn? And Annie makes a comment. She's like, we're going to flip over. And Jack takes a beat and goes, you're right, we're going to flip over. This movie has touches throughout this movie, and I think it might have been novel in the 90s or a novel in 1994 where the hero shows vulnerability or shows fallibility. Uh, there was something refreshing about this. Yeah, I totally agree. Because with most action heroes, it's like, I have a plan. This plan is going to work. And the only way this plan doesn't work is if you do not believe in the plan. But instead, he's like, we're going to do this. And she's like, we're going to flip over. And then, yeah, he's like, hey, I'm open and I'm listening to you. It is refreshing. And it's funny because you were the back of the box description it said unexpected romance. For a lot of this movie, the scenes with Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves, they're friendly with each other. And it's not necessarily like any sort of like chemistry, but at the end, it does kind of like slowly build and it does build through a couple of like key kind of like traumatic events where like, oh shit, we hung together. But yeah, right here, just the fact that like they're listening to each other and they're polite and encouraging. (laughs) Chemistry doesn't have to be like, hey, sugar legs, hey, honey balls. (laughs) I assume that's how people flirt. You do? Is is it honey dick and sugar legs? You you tell me. I told you not to write your own vows. That was so embarrassing. (laughs) But yeah, if chemistry doesn't have to be a uh, terrible dialogue like that. It could just be, it could just start by people being nice to each other. But David, they still got the bus driver on the bus and he's still, this, this bullet wound did not heal on its own. He does not have Wolverine powers. And so the next time Howard calls, uh, Jack is like, hey, let me get at least one guy off the bus. The bus driver's shot, which <laughs> Dennis Opera says this. Yeah, I think we have trust. But it looks on TV like you're trying to get those passengers off the bus. Look, you've got to let me have one. Now, we went over the rules. As an act of faith, we have an injured man here. The driver's been shot. <laughs> Jack, now tell me that you haven't been shooting the passengers. I thought it was customary for a police officer to, you know, shoot the bad guys, huh? Which I got to say, I mean, Dennis Hopper seemed to take that news in stride. Which, you know, at one moment you're like, okay, it's a movie. But also, David, we get our first glimpse here that Howard Payne, I think, is a sociopath. It's a very lean, not overly layered performance of this character. Like, we don't have to, like, learn that his his dad was mean to him or something like that. Or he was uh, dropped in a vat of acid by Batman. Uh, but we we just get like, oh yeah, he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't give a shit, and also his his ball busting in this, where he, you know he's he's taking a piss with with Jack, but there's again there's something so refreshing about that it's not villainous it's he's just yeah he's a psycho (laughs) but howard Payne does agree to let sam get off the bus and he goes all right be careful with that wildcat behind the wheel because david again he was able to see annie sandra bullock's university of arizona hoodie but but David, how is he able to see them? Interesting, interesting. Mm, we'll think about that later. Yes. But this transfer of the bus driver off the bus, what do you think about this, David? I like this a lot. This is very underrated because just the logistics of pulling a flatbed truck up to a bus, Annie has trouble you know, keeping it straight. She bumps into the truck a few times. That creates tension there. Like This movie is so good out of milking as much tension as it can out of little things to the point where like you sometimes don't even realize that things are perilous or things are dangerous. And you realize it after Sam gets off this bus and and Helen, played by Beth Grant, she's like, I want to get off too. So she makes a, a break for the exit. Howard's watching this thing somehow and he blows up the front of the bus. And I was like, dang, because you the next shot you see, 
is Helen's body. Actually, I guess you don't see Helen's body fall, but then you get one final shot of like her leg as they drive away. My goodness, Mac. Well, the news crews are out and they're covering this thing. And I think even the news reporter is like, oh, look, they're transferring the bus driver out of the bus. Looks like a woman is up next and she's going to get out. So as far as we know, the audience, Howard Payne is able to watch this uh, event play out in real time thanks to the news crew coverage. But David, you're right. This movie does manage to milk everything it can out of this fucking bus. It really was like, okay, now we're on the bus. Now what do we do? It's like, well, now what do we do? We're going to do a lot of shit. Like almost, it's almost comical how much action they get into in and around this bus. But David, the scene where they blow up Helen, played by Beth Grant, but the bad guy is like, all right, you can let one guy off the bus, but if I see one more person, one extra person off the bus, I will fucking blow them up. So after Sam gets taken off the bus, Sam the bus driver, Helen, played by Beth Grant, the uh, uh, quiet religious person who's going to go crazy, she sees the cops just like waiting there in the flatbed truck. In fact, they even like reach out their hands like, come on, come on, jump, which... Uh, weren't these cops fucking told that the only person getting off the bus is the bus driver? These cops are bad. I'll say it again. They're bad cops. But Helen's like, I'm sorry, Annie. I have to. I can't stay on this bus. And David, as she reaches out to grab the hands of the cops, the camera shows her face and there's this like euphoric look on her face. And I have to say, in a moment like this, and of course, David, she gets blown up. In a moment like this, you got two choices. You can either make it real and if you choose not to make it real, then your only other choice, David, is to make it amazing. <laughs> so her death, it felt a little outside the realm of reality. But by the fact that we like went to slow-mo and she was reaching and just looking at her face like, I'm saved. And then just kabloom. And then, yeah, thonk, thonk as the bus runs over her body. Hell fucking yeah. Another markout moment for me. Hell yeah. But Helen is dead. However, David... The bus slows down for no one. Oh, this thing is just going to get worse and worse, Mac. The passengers are arguing. Annie is processing her survivor's guilt, but no time for that now. There's an unfinished freeway up ahead. Jack decides to screw it all and gamble with the lives of everyone on board by jumping a 50-foot chasm in a city bus. 50-foot chasm? There's no way this fucking bus is going to make that. Well, it does, Mac. And when the bus safely sticks the landing on the other side, Jack has the idea to pull into the airport, where they can safely drive in circles until they run out of gas or until the tires they popped getting onto the tarmac finally give out. Earlier in the movie, when Ortiz, who I get the feeling he's like a contractor or a construction worker or mm -hmm. something like that, he helps out Keanu Reeves, and Keanu Reeves says, like, thanks, Gigantor, which, cool. You know, David, uh, I'm a taller person. I've been called big man on occasion, and I fucking hate it. You don't like that, boss? <laughs> oh, I also hate Bob. <laughs> uh, this guy at uh, the convenience store, the little bodega by my uh, house, I say bodega, but it's not a sandwich shop in there. It's a taqueria and also a, a little, you know, meat market okay. and then a gas station. The clerk sometimes will be like, oh, is this all you're getting today, boss? I'm like, man, don't call me boss. All right. I'm like, you, I'm a wage slave. Okay. I'm not one of them. Let's get them. Right. Let's get them. <laughs> you and me got to team up. I hate it. Yeah. But later on, Ortiz is like, man, I shouldn't be on this bus. I got a wife. Peter Panic is like, oh, because you got a wife. Yeah, you deserve to live. And the rest of us should fucking die. Is that the way it is? Gigantor. And it's like, God damn it. If when this fucking Peter Panic punk also calls me Gigantor, thanks a lot, Jack. You gave me a fucking nickname and I did not want to. <laughs> but also, everyone on this bus, shut the fuck up. You know what? This movie's doing a really good job of ratcheting everything up. This is about the time that you would expect people to deteriorate, especially after watching one of their own get blown up. So this is the perfect time for it. I think. I don't know. But the way they're all panicking, it feels a little too much like local middle school presents Poseidon Adventure the play. Like, it's just, 
It feels a little over the top. Don't get me wrong. Peter Panic is completely in the wrong here. You're at, like, it's like you said, every little thing is just an excuse to make him feel worse. It's like, oh, you got a, you got a stick of gum? Just because you get to chew delicious gum doesn't mean we get to, like, shut up. But David, it's time for our next complication, which as you mentioned is yes, this freeway, David, it is not a, how you say continuous. No, it is not. There's going to be a big old gap. In fact, let's let Norwood break this news for us. Sir, uh, we have a serious problem. What? This freeway is finished. What are you talking about? The aerial unit got it about three miles ahead. There's a section missing. Section missing? But it's on the map. It's finished on the goddamn map. I guess they fell behind. More, more great line deliveries from Norwood. More panicking. Thank you, Norwood. But the reveal of this gap in the freeway is excellently done because they tell us about it. And then we cut to a wide shot of the freeway system. And you kind of think you see it. And then the camera zooms in. And as it zooms in, you realize, oh, shit, they're never going to make that chasm. Yeah, when you see this chasm... This gap in the freeway, it definitely looks like impossible. And then, of course, the bus does the impossible, and it nails it. It makes the jump. What do you think about this? I was into it, Mac. I marked out. I didn't think I would mark out because this is, in my estimation, this is the souvenir of the movie. This is the thing everyone remembers when they think about speed. Oh, it's the movie that jumps the bus over the freeway. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. But it worked for me because you think about it. All right, so... You know, of course, you're writing a script about a runaway bus. Yeah, let's make a gap in the freeway. A five-foot gap? now. Ten-foot? now. Let's go to 50. Let's just fucking do 50. <laughs> and they do it. And it's silly. And they stick the landing. And I marked out. If only they had done it at a different angle. Or if only they had done it where, like, you jump from this part of the freeway. And then, oh, we didn't finish it because we made the other part of the freeway so much lower. It's almost like a, a place where a bus would land. Or why did I say bus? A car or a truck. But the way they set this thing up, it just is not believable. And then when the bus ramps up and then they cut to the shot of the bus nailing it. I remember in 1994 seeing this and thinking, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I could not mark out because I there's something about it. It just it does not come close to believable for me. I, I, I'm with you. I get that completely. But I think when Everyone is on board with the bullshit. I think the movie's not trying to deceive us. The movie knows this isn't going to work. But the fact that it works, that, that's what this movie is. I, I'm into it. I mean, you're right. It's definitely memorable for that. The fact that the bus nails this jump that's kind of impossible. It is charming. It's a it's the kind of thing that you like in action movies. You know, like after the a horror movie, a villain's been like shot 30 times, but they still get back out for that final jump scare. It, it's stuff like this where it's like, it's stupid. But yeah, man, that's what we're all here for. We're kind of here for some stupid fun sometimes. Yeah. But because it's so dumb, or not dumb, you know what I mean? Because it's so unbelievable that I could not quite get behind it. But I, if you, if other people do get behind it, including yourself, David, I support that. I, I, I do not blame you one bit. It's just wild to see a, an airborne bus. Yeah. And then they get the brilliant idea. Let's drive to the fucking airport and we'll just drive around these runways forever. And there's like little moments where they're like, oh, great idea, Jack. And so when they go to the airport, someone's like, oh, yeah, Jack's going to go to that aband oh, semi-abandoned freight runway. It's like, oh, is that, <laughs> is that where he was going? Okay, if you guys say so. But David, they get to this airport, and you know this is the bus that can't slow down. And so there's a guard station. It's like, no, bus, what are you doing? Don't go in here. This bus is going too fast. And the bus is like, oh, fuck it. We're the bus that can't slow down. So they drive right through the little uh, you know guard railing there. Yeah, but they also drive 
in through the outdoor. So they're going to drive over the spikes that don't let you back up. And they're going to pop the tires, Mac. <laughs> I'm getting frustrated with the movie, but in a delightful way, because God damn it, movie, you're just putting more obstacles in our way. Do these pop tires ever seem to come into play? Well, they start to fall apart. And when Jack is trying to defuse the bomb, when he gets onto that little dolly, they run over tire parts and that starts to trip them up. I get the feeling that maybe, because the, the rear tires are like double tires. There's like two tires. Right. On each axle bank or axle, I don't know what I'm talking about. Each wheel well, mm-hmm. I get the feeling that maybe like the driver's side rear, the two tires that are back there, maybe both tires don't get popped, like that kind of thing. Because it's not like the bus is suddenly going like thunk, 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 with a flat tire. Yeah, but yeah, they reach the airport. They're on a runway. They're now safely driving in circles. But Jack decides to kick it up a notch. Yeah, he's going to slide under the bus to dismantle this bomb. Meanwhile, Harry discovers Howard's identity and address and tells Jack to abort mission. But the bus and its blown out tires have other plans. Jack manages to avoid getting run over and makes it back onto the bus. But uh oh, now they're running out of gas. God damn it, movie. Yeah, so Jack leaves the bus momentarily because he's like, hey, uh, Howard Payne, they don't think you're serious about this money. Let me get off the bus and explain to him that you are serious. And he's like, okay, Jack, you can do it. I don't know why he's Jack Nicholson all of a sudden. Keanu Reeves uses that as a, uh, a chance to get off the bus so he can cook up a plan with his cop buddies. Yeah, but uh, Ortiz and the rest of the bus, are their spirits are low and they're shrinking by the minute because, hey man, I don't want anybody to leave this bus without me. So Ortiz is talking with Annie. They're driving along and Ortiz t- says to Annie, I'm telling you, Annie, he's somewhere jerking off. Hey man, quit telling me that. Like, if this is the first time you're saying this, stop now. If you keep telling me this, I'm kicking you off the bus. Classic Joss Whedon dialogue. I'm telling you, Andy, right now he's really pumping that shaft. He's stretching out his balls when he does it. He says it feels good. But Jack is going to get on a dolly and slide underneath the bus, as you mentioned, to try to get a look at this bomb. And the reason why he has the confidence to do this is because the news crews are no longer circling around the bus. And so he thinks that he is now invisible and protected from the bomber's view, that the bomber can no longer like see him and what he's doing Hmm. and he's half right the bomber can see what he's doing but he cannot see underneath the bus so jack is able to like carry out this exploration in relative uh obscurity or you know at least hidden from howard payne's view but the way the dolly is set up the dolly is connected to like a police truck or something that's like driving in front of the bus i mean it's a pretty tense moment just in and of itself jack is on top of a dolly that's traveling over 50 miles an hour underneath the bus that's already tense situation but then you're right, David, this tire starts to erode. It runs into the dolly and now the dolly's oh, swinging all over the place. Jack now is in danger of getting uh, run, thumped by this bus. He's swinging all over the place. He's hanging onto the underside of this bus because at some point he finally loses the dolly and the bus runs over the dolly and he thinks she's killed Jack. This is really, really good. Like Another one of those moments where I don't care if it's a stunt person. Like Someone is dragging their feet on the pavement as a bus goes X amount of miles per hour. This is still impressive. So the reason for him going into the bus was he was going to try and dismantle the bomb, try and like, you know, get underneath it and maybe uh, have Harry like talk him through it. But David, if we had cut out this scene, if you had edited out this scene completely, like Jack never like went underneath the bus, maybe he just jumped back on. Would you have missed it? Um, To be more specific, David, would do you think somebody would have been like, how come he never tried to dismantle the bomb himself? That's that's a, a really good question. I think I don't know if I would have noticed it or engaged this conversation as much if 
they didn't pull him back. That feels like, why did you even do this? You know, if they go into the bus and Jack realizes this is too complicated, I give up, and then things deteriorate from there, then I would miss it. But because he goes into the bus and Harry goes, oh, we found his address. Go ahead and pull out of there. We, we got it from here. Then you only did this to get him under the bus. And yeah, it does. It feels a little hollow, I guess, if that's the word I want to use. But I, it's still action, dude. Yeah, I asked that because I was a little bit on the fence. Like, this is a fun scene. But also, do we need this scene? It, it maybe I don't know. I guess. But it, it served another purpose because Jack is like scrambling to not get run over by the bus. He takes out his knife and he uses it to like stab into the bus's bottom, the undercarriage there, to try and like get some sort of grip on it. And he ends up stabbing a fuel tank. And now this bus is leaking fuel. Oh no. I'll say this. I think that's the purpose the sequence serves is to is to get the gas leaking. Was it a knife or a screwdriver? Screwdriver. Yeah, because uh, uh, my be, my be. Another one of the more ridiculous things in the movie, like Oh, I held on thanks to my trusty screwdriver. Like, I don't believe you, but I still love you. So they managed to, there's a tense scene here where Ortiz and the other guys are able to pull Jack from underneath the bus back onto the bus. And when he gets up, I think it's Peter Panic who says, Did you have any luck with the bomb? Yeah, it didn't go off. Which I think is the closest thing Jack says to shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's the closest we get to a callback of first act jack where he's cocky and arrogant and stuff like that i think this is the bus and the situation of the day wearing on him to where he's just like hey man fuck off for a moment <laughs> yeah but on the other hand you've got everyone happy to see jack back on the bus and happy that he's alive and made it safely uh ortiz is so thrilled that at one point he says to jack hey man you you might be dumb but you've got some big round hairy cojones and then jack responds with that's gross and I was so appreciative of that. Thank you, movie. We don't need that kind of conversation. We're, we just met this morning. I'm, I'm blowing all my punch-ups here, David, but this is another punch-up for me. I, I think, Ortiz, if you're going to put that in there, let's do one more beat of it. So I'll be like, you're big, red, hairy cojones. Like, that's gross, Ortiz. Like, yeah, man, you got some big, really wrinkly sack that's holding them all in there. And let me tell you about your thick, veiny cock that's really slapping around your legs right now. We got to get you a diaper for that dripping hog of yours. Let me tell you about that tight pink asshole you probably got. <laughs> what does that have to do with strength? I don't know. I think he wants to fuck Jack Trevin. Trevin? Trevin? Trevors? Trevin! Trevor. But cut to some house. Yeah, this is going to be Howard's house, and Harry and his team are going to raid it, but oh, whoops, the house is a bomb. Rest in peace, Harry. Howard gives Jack instructions for the ransom drop-off because Jack has clearly been beaten. But how? A super secret spy camera, that's how. Oh. Now it makes sense, Mac. The SWAT team records and broadcasts a dummy tape of the passengers sitting still, which serves as the perfect decoy to get the passengers off the bus. The abandoned bus then explodes harmlessly into a plane. Ah, oh, fuck. Oh, God, we fucked up. <laughs> uh, so let's start with the house, Mac. So we go to Howard's house. What is Howard so mad about? This is a bungalow in the middle of Los Angeles. This thing's probably going to be worth $3 million now, at least. What's he bitching about? He got big shorted. That, that thing's underwater. <laughs> but as they raid the house, you couldn't give me like a fake out cut movie? You know what I mean? Like, I, There's a lot of examples of this, but the first thing that pops in my head for some reason is Black Widow. Like in the beginning of the movie, we cut to like Black Widow, uh, played by you know, Scarlett Johansson, in like a hotel room. And she's calling this uh, team led by William Hurt that's like closing in on her. And, you know, they're cutting back and forth and they're about to break down a door like apprehend Black Widow. But then when they break down the door, there's no one in the room. 
Turns out the other shot of Black Widow, she was like a hundred million miles away or whatever. I feel like it would have been real easy to do some like fake out cuts where, you know, you cut to Howard Payne watching the cops bust in on a monitor and he's like, oh, so you found me, huh? But then if the house blows up, then we get a wider shot of where Howard is and realize, oh, he's not even at the house. Uh, because I don't know, I never got the feeling that they were closing in on Howard. It just felt like an abandoned house the whole time. You know, I think that's an easy fix because whenever we do see Howard in his element, it feels like an abandoned office space. Like there's a bank of TVs that he's watching. He's at like this rusty desk. The whole place is dirty. So when you follow Harry into this house, I'm not matching up this, the look of this house with the look of anything I've seen Howard in. So it didn't trick me. I would have liked a little more of a trick. I, I, I hear what you're saying. But as the team raids the house, there's a little like sensor that goes off and a red light that comes on. And Jeff Daniels' character, Harry, he sees this red light and the look on it, and he realizes, the character realizes that they fucked up and this house is about to blow up. Now, prior to this most recent viewing, I remembered that this part of the movie happened. And I remember that the, we got to see the look on Jeff Daniels' face right before he blows up. Now, as I rewatched it this time, it did not play out exactly as I remembered it. But the fact that I still remembered that moment, the fact that the, even if I couldn't remember exactly how it looked like, the moment that a character is like, oh, fuck, I'm going to die. Like, that's intense. That's an intense scene. I didn't quite mark out, but that's something, man. Credit to Jeff Daniels for being able to sell a real brief moment and give it so much weight. I was right there with you. I remember it when I first saw it. Every time I watch it, I still react to it. It's fantastic. You know, to be able to act in just such a brief space, to be able to do so much, good for you. Yeah, you're right, because it's not a lot of time. And just with like a, a small amount of facial, you know, movement, he's able to convey like he knows he's so fucked that he's about to die. And then you don't get any chance to contemplate that because then it happens, which again makes it, you know, that really quick explosion there makes it all the harsher. But we're going to check in on Howard. You know, we're going to see him enjoying his victory from miles away. How's his How's his Saturday morning? How's his Sunday morning going? What day is this, Mac? It's got to be Saturday, David, because he's a college football fan from Atlanta. And he loves Coca-Cola. It tracks. You did it, movie. But in this bank of monitors, he's watching uh, a feed of what's going on on the bus. How, how is he doing that, Mac? Because as Jack realizes, he's got a camera on the bus, he being the bad guy, Howard Payne. And Jack looks down at the hoodie that Annie's wearing, and he knows it says University of Arizona. He remembers that Howard referred to her as a wildcat. And he's like, wildcat, this guy's up in his college mascots. He's got a camera, son of a bitch. He's got a camera on the bus. And they cook up this plan to have a local film crew record the broadcast and then make a, a loop, like a gif or a boomerang or whatever you want to call it, David. <laughs> Just have that loop play constantly, broadcast that back to Howard. And then while they're broadcasting that, they'll get everyone off the bus. David, this would have been a hard thing to do nowadays when you can you have programs to do this very specific thing on your phone. The fact that this TV crew was able to do all this in the span of a minute and a half, he's the hero of the movie. Yes, absolute MVP of this movie, because this is perhaps the most unbelievable part of the movie. You're watching this movie, you're sitting in the theater, you're like, all right, technology, you're just going to go ahead and work over my head. Because does bus closed circuit television broadcast? Is he picking up a... I don't think you can intercept a signal. I mean, it's broadcasting to Howard wherever he is. But however, the important question is, did you give this a, a second thought in 1994? I, I did. I absolutely oh, okay. did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, but now I'm thinking about it now because there was a funny moment here where 
Jack realizes, oh, they're probably being recorded. So he very surreptitiously leans back and looks behind the, you know, that round mirror that is in every bus. And sure enough, there's a camera, but it's not like a little red dot. It's not like a pinhole camera. This is like the Video Vision Crime Co. evidence cam. Just like uh, this big sign plastered on the side of it. So I guess if you tap into that, then you you win the day. So yeah, Jack notices the world's most noticeable camera. And then he, he cooks up this plan. He's like, all right, everyone's, you know, he, he wants them everyone to like pose for a picture, basically. Try not to move a whole lot because they're going to loop it. And what does he tell everyone? He says, look straight ahead and try to look whipped. And even Ortiz is like, well, that shouldn't be a problem. I, I, I love that. But the technical part of this is carried out by some rando TV news crew guy who happens to have like a camera and a monitor bank and a bunch of fancy equipment. And so Captain Mac goes over there and he's like, hey, you do this thing for me. Do it now. And there's a really great exchange here between uh, Captain Mac and rando TV news crew guy. Oh, you mean the flying off the handle police chief is like, all right, I need you to hurry up and tape this. You know, he's like. He's impatient with this guy who does not work for him. He's like, all right, now, now this. Okay, tape it. Yeah, now tape it. And finally, the the guy who does not work for them was like, it's taping. And I'm like, that's one of the more satisfying parts of this movie. Just to be able to tell off a police officer. Like, I'm doing my fucking job. See, but the way you delivered it right now is how a normal person would deliver it, which is like, get off my back. I'm exasperated. Leave me alone already. Jeez. But the way the guy delivered it was like, fuck you. <laughs> You know nothing. Tape it. He goes, it's taping. But you're right. It, it totally is like, I don't work for you, pig. Like, it just yeah. it comes at him so hard. <laughs> and then later on when Mac is like, I loop it now. It, there's a little bit of like, please, in there that's kind of inferred. <laughs> yes. But their plan uh, works or whatever because the moment they loop it, we cut Howard Payne's taking a piss. He's really not paying too close attention now to the in-bus feed because he thinks he's got these dudes beat. And so then we start unloading the passengers because we got to get these guys off this bus. We're going to get another transport bus pulling up to the side of this one. We're going to put another uh, plank down for people to walk across and we're going to unload this bus. This is an underrated moment in the movie. This is also hard to do. In fact, when it gets complicated, when Alan Ruck is crossing over, he's crossing into the, the safety bus, the whole thing kind of, or the platform falls away from the original bus. So Alan Ruck is just hanging on to this platform as it's being dragged by the second bus. This is thrilling. Like, we're still finding thrilling moments in this movie. Yeah, and the reason why Alan Ruck's knees and legs aren't immediately ground into hamburger is because he's, like, still on this platform and, like, sparks are shooting out. But, David, I guess, you know, we use the term mark out a lot. I was a mark for this scene because when the platform gives way and Alan Ruck kind of falls to the ground, I was like, oh, no, he's done for. Like, I did <laughs> in that moment. I was sold on the action. And I was like, oh, right, the thing between him and the street, it's still there. I think more than any other part in this movie, this is the part where I most feel the speed of the bus, if that makes sense. Because like you said, you know, when that platform falls, you're like, oh, he's done for. And then there's another moment coming up when when Annie and Jack are getting off, are finally going to get off the bus themselves, and they pull up that access panel, and they're going to slide out using the access panel. The access panel's dragging on the ground. There's sparks coming off of that. If it's me, I'm like, ha no fucking way. I'm staying on this bus forever. But there's a moment here as Jack is getting the panel ready for them to slide off, and uh, Jack and Annie, he gets a, a pipe and some rope and hands it to Annie, and he says, here, Mac, would you have any idea what to do with this rope and pipe? No, I've seen this movie now uh, five times, and I still do not know what the fuck to do with it. Is this for rigging the wheel? And then he, if he said, yeah, my next question would be like, how the fuck do you do that? 
So Annie does this with no problem. She jams the the pipe into the gas pedal to keep it going. She ties the rope to the steering wheel to keep it steady. If it's me, I'm just grabbing that pipe and like Groucho Marxing it, like, hey, look at me, giant cigar, and then we die. But they do manage to get off the bus, and they manage to get off the bus by hugging the hell out of each other. And I have to say, David, more climactic rescues should resolve in hugs. That's just a good way to go. Even if they didn't make it, it's like, hey, we, we died like we lived, wanted to hug each other. This bus, it's running out of fuel. It's getting slower. After leaving the bus, they're like, all right, bus, you're free to explode over here. There's not a lot over here. And then the bus immediately drives through an airplane hangar. At that moment, I was like, oh, no. But then as it drives into the airplane hangar, it leaves the airplane hangar. And I go, oh, good. It's not going to. I thought for a second it was going to hit a plane. And then here comes a plane, David, and it crashes right into a fucking plane, <laughs> and the plane explodes. If I was Jack Trevin at the moment, I'd look and be like, are you fucking serious? And after this plane exploded, I was like, oh my God. I mean, I, I imagine this plane is empty because I don't remember this part of the movie where they, they kill a plane. But for half a second, <laughs> just the idea that they're like trying to save these eight people on an exploding bus, <laughs> and they end up taking out a 200-seat airplane full of people would have been just the most terrible and also the funniest thing on the planet but i wrote down in my notes like we how we know the plane was empty oh wait they said it was like a freight thing oh wait the plane says freight on the side of it oh wait the side hatch where everyone enters the airplane that is doors open it there's like so many clues there's an empty plane but i forgot all of them so the plane exploded i was like what why you guys (laughs) fucked up so hard No, it was abandoned, and there's even a button on this, just in case you're still unsure about whether the plane was empty or not. Or maybe this is just for me. But after the plane explodes, giant kablooey, I marked out, this is so stinking cool. But then there's a moment afterwards where the taxi that's taxiing the plane onto the runway, the guy is still alive in that taxi, so he jumps out and is like, oh, let's get out of here. So I'm like, oh, okay, everyone's going to be all right. (laughs) But, But credit to this movie, you know. As soon as we know there's a bomb on this bus, we know the bus is going to explode at some point. To have it explode just as they're getting off this bus, to have it explode as it's driving into a plane, to have that plane explode, hell yeah, I marked out. This is fantastic. Yeah, they definitely were like, hey, when this bus finally does explode, uh, this cannot be a whimper, my friends. (laughs) This has to be an over-the-top bang, and they nailed it. But meanwhile, let's check in on Howard, who is getting ready for his $3.7 million payday when he notices the looped footage on his monitor. When Howard doesn't show to collect his money, Jack suspects something is amiss and follows the money down a hole leading to the L.A. subway system, where Howard has rigged Annie to explode. Howard and Annie board a train, but Jack doesn't give up and stays in pursuit. Howard fights Jack on the roof of a subway car, but loses the fight and also his head. So Howard learns from the news that the bus has exploded, but he looks over at his feet and he's like, how can that be? Because I see footage here of, oh no, it's looped! No! His reaction here is fantastic. It is Wrath of Khan level of emoting. Ah, Dennis Hopper did a great job with this movie. Yeah, 100%. He sells the hell out of this now. A really, like, super fun, like, villain reaction. You know, and again, he sells it in just the right way. It doesn't feel like that... Darth Vader, Revenge of the Sith, no thing. It's perfect. Uh, but, but Howard's still got to get his revenge. He's still got to get his money. But the police drop this money off in a trash can uh, in the middle of the city. They've got eyes on it. They've got snipers on it. But Howard's not showing up. So Jack suspects something's up. He's like, he's never late. And he's never late. But Norwood, ever confident. Bless your heart, Norwood. He's like, hey, man, we've got eyes on it. We've got a bird dog in the bag. He's not going anywhere. So Jack's like, is the bird dog on? And Norwood's like, well, should it be? So they turn it on, <laughs> and sure enough, the, the bag is moving. Like, 
how do you not keep this on the whole fucking time? Like, why even turn it on? We don't need to track it, even though it's made to track. And who, why isn't it? Who cares if it's not turned on? I don't want to turn it on. I think there should have been a scene where it's like, why don't you turn it on? And Nord goes, because I'm on my break. But Mac, they turn on the bird dog. They see it moving. So Jack runs out to that trash can, pushes it over. There's a hole in the street, Mac. What's up with this hole in the street? I don't know what's up with this hole in the street. Did Howard cut a hole in the street in the last week? He's been a busy guy. I'm I'm starting to think that this plan took more than three days. Again, I think he might have already had this plan ready to go. Uh, he just scrapped it because it was too good. Once plan A, the fabulous elevator job got scrapped, he's like, okay, fine. The world must see my genius. But Jack dives down this hole. He chases down Howard, or so he thinks. When the person steps out of the shadows, it's Annie. And she's wearing a bomb vest because a couple minutes earlier... We saw that Howard, dressed like a cop, managed to get his hands and kind of capture Annie, who was just kind of hanging around. So now Howard has the upper hand again. He's got Annie with a bomb vest, and he's demanding that Jack does uh, give him some money or just fuck off. I forget. Uh, both, I think. He wants money, and he wants Jack to fuck off. This is going to be some, some top-notch monologuing by Dennis Hopper. He's got this speech here where he talks about, like, the nature of a bomb. Yeah. You know, a bomb is made to explode. In fact, I'm not going to do it justice. Let's just go ahead and play it. You still don't get it, do you, Jack? Huh? The beauty of it. A bomb is made to explode. That's its meaning, its purpose. Your life is empty because you spend it trying to stop the bomb from becoming. And for who? For what? Do you know what a bomb is, Jack, that doesn't explode? It is a cheap gold watch, buddy. David, this monologue confused me. How so? He's like, I don't know. I guess I didn't need it. Like, I get the idea that he's a, a psychopath. This uh, getting philosophical about bombs. Am I supposed to believe he wants bombs to explode? Like, he, he he's like a bombomaniac? At best, this chunk is out of place in the movie. This belongs in the second act. This belongs in a quieter moment where you're learning more about the character. Right now, it just feels like Joss Whedon fell in love with some dialogue and didn't want to cut it. Yeah, it feels like kind of a, a bomb maker who loves bombs, and this is his whole bomb thing. But he, these bombs to him are just like a means to an end. He's just a bomb expert because he's part of the bomb squad of like the Atlanta PD or something. Yeah. Anyway, he tells Jack to fuck off, and he, he uh, Howard makes his getaway with Annie. Yeah, he does. So he's going to get onto a subway train. He's going to clear the platform by pulling out a, a gun and just shooting into the air. And I laughed at this, uh, believe it or not, because this entire movie, Howard has been an artist with his bombs. He's very elegant in his intricacy. He plans everything. And now you've just got him shooting up a gun like, bowling here, get your bowling. And like, I loved it. Yeah. And then once he gets on the subway with Annie, he goes into this like kind of gleeful sociopath mode that is just really watchable. Like he basically admits, he's like, oh, I'm going to kill you. Like there's no scenario here where you get away because i'm going to use your blown up body because like the when the cops you know clean up the carnage they're not going to you have so much dynamite on your c4 or whatever that they're not going to count bodies so they're going to assume your guts are my guts and he's like oh annie are you worried it's not going to hurt and the fact that he's like straight up admitting to her is like oh yeah yeah you know i'm going to kill you definitely it's not going to hurt so like calm down don't worry about dying or something and the way it's just i don't know man but dennis hopper is great i guess is what i'm getting at there was a line I rolled my eyes at during this part where he's he's trying to calm Andy down. He's like, Annie, it's not because you're a woman. And in the moment I'm watching, like, yeah, no shit. But having this discussion with you now, 
that's almost the the closest this sociopath can come to any sort of empathy. Like I, I'm, I it it's making a lot more sense. Yeah, it's like his attempt to like take her perspective. It's like, oh, she probably thinks I'm being a creep. It's like, no, dude, you're being yeah. a fucking psycho murderer. Cause say we cut back to the subway and Howard is unpacking his bag of money. There's a tracking device in the bag, right? And so I was like, well, here's the thing. Howard probably knows there's a tracking device in the bag. So he probably took it out the same way he would take out the die packs. However, these die packs, David, explode. And if you don't, in case you don't know what a die pack is, kind of like a bomb, right? And what they do is, if, let's say you rob a bank, right? The bank tellers will, you know, stick in these uh, die packs, which sometimes are hidden inside, you know, these like fake money stacks. When you, a criminal, leave the bank, the die pack explodes, making this money useless. You can't even spend it. At this point, I have seen this in a whole bunch of movies and TV shows or whatever. But at some point in my life, this is a novel concept. I feel like Howard should have known better. Or do you think in 1994, this wasn't something that popped up in a lot of movies yet? I'm glad you asked that. I'm scouring the recesses of my brain, and I think this might be my first exposure to a die pack in a movie. I think I think this was novel at the time. Because if it was the first time we saw a die pack, I don't think they explained it enough. I guarantee you in 1994, if it was the first time, I would have been like, well, why is he suddenly purple a little bit? <laughs> but for something, I don't know. I just I still feel like he's a dummy for not knowing. Because I feel like if anyone's going to know about it, it's probably cops. Yeah. The guy who's been a step ahead every single time. So yeah, that it doesn't it doesn't add up. I mean, seriously, has his character not seen a, a good time with uh Robert Pattinson? That's essential viewing Howard Payne. Come on. But don't 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 what's this? It's a noise on top of the subway car and Howard's like, "Is that you, Jack?" which there's no way if I heard a thunk thunk, I would have been like, "My arch enemy." Uh, but he he's correct, it's Jack. <laughs> and I guess he's like, "I'll go up there and take care of this myself and next thing you know, Howard Dennis Hopper is on the roof of this fucking moving subway to physically fight Keanu Reeves' Jack Traven. That does not seem to make sense. It does not seem to make sense for a number of reasons. The Dennis Hopper versus Keanu dynamic, the Dennis Hopper climbing onto a moving subway dynamic. How did he get up there? Is this something that people can do? I don't know. It seems super hard. It seems like something the subway would discourage and they would not make it super easy. Earlier when Keanu Reeves was like climbing... On top of the subway, he looked up and he sees that there's like this red light that's hanging down from the ceiling. And he's like, oh, and he moves just in time. Otherwise, this hanging red light would, I guess, hit him and knock him off the subway car. And so as Jack is tussling with Howard off in the distance, here comes another red light, David. Jack sees it. Howard does not. Jack is going to lift Howard's head to where that light is going to take his head clean off. And then Jack is going to finish it with a kill line. He's going to say, oh, yeah, well, I'm taller this is great. I marked out. Mac, is this the first kill line on the mountain? I, it, it might be, David, because I remember when we first started this podcast, we were talking about it. We're like, oh, every episode will probably have so many kill lines to choose from. We should probably do like a best kill line every episode. And then we have none, zero. And so the fact that he's like, yeah, I'm taller, like right after he kills him, I it, it was almost like a unicorn uh, jumping into a, the mouth of a uh, some sort of a half lion, half, uh, you know, bumblebee. A bumble lion? Yeah, from the Wuzzles. Yeah, it just I didn't believe I actually saw it, but then he sure enough he says it. But also, David, you were not exaggerating. His head does go clean off. It's like he forgot to pay the bill for the surface that connects your neck to your body. That's it. It was like pop. It was it was just gone. It was like a little action figure just taken right off his head. Look, I, I'm basking in the glow of this kill line, which yes, I did mark out, David. Another mark out moment for me. There you go. I'm basking in the glow of it, and Jack climbs back in the subway car, and Annie's like, 
where's Howard? And Jack goes, he lost his head. Nah, 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 man. Nah, 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 nah. One line per kill. You get one, my guy. You know what I mean? You can't keep you can't keep milking it. I disagree. You get one line per person. Annie didn't hear that first one. She I'm credit to Jack for having a brand new line. Oh, you know what though? The gold standard is, of course, what movie am I gonna say? Do you know? Austin Powers. <laughs> Commando with Schwarzenegger. Cause he's like, what's the guy's name? Sonny? Oh shit. Yeah, right? Sorry, it's it's Sully, David. Schwarzenegger's <laughs> holding Sully. Over like a ravine by his leg. And he's like, hey, Sully, you know how I said that was good to kill you last? And he's like, yeah, yeah, Matrix. He goes, I lied. And he drops him <laughs> to his death. And then when uh, Swordsticker goes back to his car where uh, Cindy is, Cindy goes, where's Sully? And he goes, I let them go. I mean, there's just two, two perfect lines right there. So you know what? Uh, there is precedent. If this is a Supreme Court case, you would have won handily. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> he, he does get one per person. So no, I, I retract that. Good job, Jack Trevern. Travern? Travin. Travis. But Jack gets the better of Howard, and he's going to defuse the bomb strapped to Annie, but she's still handcuffed to a train with no brakes hurtling toward disaster. When Jack is a hammer, every problem looks like speeding up faster. Jack goes max speed on the subway car. It successfully jumps the tracks, and Jack and Annie's perfect bodies are still in excellent shape for hours of colliding into each other. I love this solution, David, because you're right. The movie commits... It's like, what do we do? And Keanu Reeves almost at this point goes, the, well, the movie's called Speed. I guess we got to go faster. Like, it just, yeah. uh, it was great. I love it. And yeah, it worked. They they went faster and some reason they survived. Yeah. Velocity has been the answer to everything so far. Let's keep it going. This is a really good way to end a nonstop action movie. I'll tell you what, the moment when Annie realizes that Jack doesn't have a key for the handcuffs and she resigns herself to the idea that, oh, I'm going to die on this speeding car. Much like Harry's moment before he explodes, Annie and Jack have a real human moment, and I genuinely felt for them. Yeah, me too. I, I did feel like it was a great moment because you get all this like high-paced action, and then this final little like hurdle they have to overcome, it's kind of a quiet moment. Like She's like, all right, uh, uncuff me. And he's like, I don't have the key. We the edits slow down here and the music kind of fades back and it, it really is just like a quiet moment because the moment's so understated in a movie where the bad guy's already defeated and you know the heroes are gonna win, it's still able to build some tension. Like I know that they're going to survive, but I still felt it watching the movie. Like, you know, I think Sandy B does a great job of a little bit of panic and, and Keanu Reeves uh does as well. And so yeah, it, the fact that they were able to get one more tense moment after the putting the ball on like the one yard line is is a testament to this movie. Pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. And like you said, his decision to just floor it and jump the track, hell yeah. But David, earlier in the movie when Annie and Jack think they're safe for the first time, Annie starts to cry a little bit because it's just the trauma and stress of it. They're They're doing a little bit of flirting. And she's like, you know, relationships built on traumatic events don't last. And then now at the end of the movie, they've survived again. Jack repeats that line of dialogue. In fact, they have this exchange. I have to warn you. I've heard relationships based on intense experiences never work. Okay. We'll have to base it on sex then. Uh, this line works for me. I'm, I'm on board. I, I like this little couple together. I think they're cute. They've paced out their chemistry slowly enough to where I bought it. They deserve their whatever bones they're going to jump of each other that jump them well my friends but you know who also thinks that the gathered crowd because <laughs> this subway car just erupted onto the street 
And there's a crowd gathered around, like, what's going on with the subway car? And first of all, they look inside and they just see people like making out about to fuck. They haven't been like following along with the Adventures of Jack for the last two hours. All they know is that they got like a crash situation on their hand. The David Cronenberg type. <laughs> hey, hon, it's a couple of those people that like fucking and things that are crashing. That's because, you know, it's a typical LA accent. But yeah, this crowd is like laughing and taking pictures and just like having a grand old time. I think they, is this the horny district of LA? No, I just think these are horny tourists because there's nobody this hot in Muncie, Indiana. You bet I'm going to waste an entire roll of film on this. I think they might be like uh, people looking out for like famous people. Like, I'll bring a Polaroid, take a picture of uh, Stallone when I see him walking by, I'll have him sign it. It's like, oh, people fucking? Oh, this is good. Cheek, 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 cheek. <laughs> I'll have them sign it when they're done. <laughs> yeah. But David, as Jack creams those very tight jeans. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Our speed has sped to a... Speed down, David, which is my way of saying that is the end of the movie Speed. All right, pop quiz, hot shot. How many markout moments did you have? Mac, I had four. How about you? I also had four. David, is this someone's favorite movie? I'll bet it is, you know, because I could see this being a Keanu fan's favorite Keanu. So if that's possible... <laughs> Am I saying it weird? It sounded weird as soon as it left my mouth. I managed to not laugh at the first Keanu, but the second Keanu? one got Stop it. The second one got yeah. me. And the, the third one just boils my blood. I think this was someone's favorite movie for a while. I think after it came out, somebody loved this movie. And now maybe that person is more like into a Fast Five or something. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I think at some point, this definitely was a lot of people's favorite movie. Because it was fun. All right, David, time for some punch-ups. David, we're the Ultimate Script Doctors. Everybody knows that. David, how would you improve this movie? How would you punch it up? Ugh, not a lot of space to, to improve in this movie, but I've got a couple small ones. One, why does Harry gotta die? Why can't Harry have a hero moment? Uh, it, it broke my heart too much to see him go. I'm not quite sure I'm into that. My main note, just to ramp up the enjoyment factor of this movie, so this is an R-rated movie, but it's a surprisingly bloodless R-rated movie, I guess. You know, there's some there's some language, but it's mostly like automobile carnage. I wouldn't mind an unrated cut. I wouldn't mind some grindhouse kills. Like, instead of that baby carriage full of cans, let's say it's a baby carriage full of cans, and then you actually run over the mother. Also, the mother of the cans. Oh, no. You know, something <laughs> a little gleefully bloody. Separate from this movie. This movie is what it is. I'm happy with what it is. But if there was an extra unrated cut with some bloody kills, I'd be I'd watch that. Yeah, I got some punch ups that are along those lines and those lines are amping it up. Well, first of all, I think you, you do kill Harry. I think you got to kill him. But my punch up would be right before he dies. He goes, uh, oh, Glarp. <laughs> and that's when you realize Harry's been an alien this whole time. Whoa, that's fucked up. But David, there's some really egregious moments in this movie. And I think you got to sell them. Like the bus jumping over that fifty foot chasm, or like the bus in its final in its final moments of life, driving through the airplane hangar, crashing into the airplane. I think you sell those moments harder, right? So like the bus, uh, it makes the jump, but at the same time, like a bird flies underneath it, or maybe like a, a kid like down below at like a park is about to blow out their uh, their birthday cake, but the bus. Dri like it driving over the wind from the bus blows out the candles before the kid can do it. And like when the bus is driving through the airport hangar, you know, have it drive through another hangar. It's like a fireworks factory first, you know, Hey, this new shipment of extra flammable children's Halloween costumes just got in. <laughs> I want this explosion just to be seen for, you know, States away. Just really sell it. 
My other punch up, David, is uh, one of the most intense, oddly enjoyable parts of the movie, I felt like, is when, uh, I forget her name, Beth Grant's character, Helen, I think. Yes. When she dies, right? Let's kill some more passengers, man. Let's empty out okay. this bus. Let's just, you know, waste them. Like, oh, more people die in these separate ways. Or maybe at some point, you know, Jack is like, a show of faith. You need to let me get another passenger off the bus. And Howard's like, now as a show of faith, I'm going to kill two or something. Let's turn these guys into the hamburger patties they were born to be. I think we both had the same punch up. Let's start amputating some of these people. <laughs> Say, amputate? And I never will. That's just, what is this, dead ringers all of a sudden? <laughs> all right, David, please join me in the Punch Mountain video store. As you know, of course, uh, Punch Mountain Video is an all-action movie video store. So where would you stock these movies? Specifically, what subsections of action would you stock them in? Okay, my first copy. Welcome back to Punch Mountain Keanu Reeves. This one's going right next to The Matrix on the Keanu shelf. Uh, next copy is going to go in 90s action. This is one of the quintessential 90s action movies. Third copy is going in Die Hard on a Blank. This is a category we don't use very often, but uh, it does apply in this case. Those are all three great sections. I would add stock it in two more sections that I wouldn't make them permanent, but just like wrote like seasonal things. Like if the video store wants to have like a bomb vimber where it's like, here's all action movies around bombers. Maybe slide that one up. If for some reason, one of these sections had to be moved and we wanted to create a, another subsection that was just called, uh, you know, transport transpo action. I'd say you could put that on there as well. I'm into it. All right, Dave, enough of these pop quizzes. It's time for the ultimate test. Where does speed fall? on the definitive ranking of action movies, AKA Punch Mountain. And as a reminder, the top three right now at the summit, actually let's go top four. Number one, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, followed by Raid 2 The Matrix and Jurassic Park. And then down at the bottom of the list, at the base of the mountain, 26, 27, 28, Passenger 57, Deadly Prey, Poseidon Adventure. And David at the lowly bus depot outside the mountain, number 29, Chappie. All right, David, so where, where would you put this movie? How would you rank it? If it was up to you. And of course it's not. It's not. But if it was, it would be very, very, very surprisingly high. I'm into this movie. It is nonstop action from beginning to end. It is silly in the ways that you want an action movie to be silly. It is preposterous in the way you want action movies. Well, maybe not want action movies to be preposterous, but it's sufficiently preposterous. This is a white knuckle thrill ride from beginning to end. I don't know. Am I doing pull quotes now? I'm into this movie, Mac. I, I, yeah. How about you? Yeah, this movie is real good. And it's because, it, in my mind, it, it's very stripped down. And and I cannot help but say it's because the movie is speed, David. But it, it's like this movie's built for speed. All the characters, the setup, we everything, we get into it very fast. Even though they, the, the storylines of the characters are like what we know about them seems kind of basic, a little bit bare bones. Because the cast does such a good job with them, I don't mind for a second that maybe we don't have Howard's full motivation or maybe I don't have a full sense of who Jack Traven is. So yeah, even though it is ridiculous, uh, this movie does what it does and it does it well and it does it in a very engaging way. There's a reason this movie, without A-list actors in it at the time, made like, what, six times its budget or something at the box office? Yeah. It, it's a pretty good movie. One last thing before we before we reveal the amount of respect that we're giving to this movie, a movie with an overly simple premise. There's a bomb on a bus. You think about other movies with overly simple premises. You think about the first one that comes to my mind, Snakes on a Plane. It is so easy to get your foot in the door with such a silly premise, but you still have to execute. This movie executed. It is a classic. Uh, I'm very high on it. David, seek shelter in the nearest bus because that noise, those are rocks falling from Punch Mountain itself. 
Oh my goodness, the position of speed is being revealed on the mountain as the golden letters appear, indicating that speed is now number six on the mountain. So the rankings are currently Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Raid 2 The Matrix, Jurassic Park, Hard-Boiled Speed, followed by number seven, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. That's weird that that's there, but it's good. Bray, RRR, and then a bunch of other movies. A really great list, and of course, uh, a whole lot more movies still to be ranked. Are you happy with that ranking, David? I am. I'm very happy with that ranking. I'm just happy with what the Mountain Slayers are doing. The, we, we've we picked these movies to go near the top of the mountain, and they are delivering. So I'm very happy with this. The Mountain Slayers are definitely filling out the top of the mountain. That's weird to say these things that we came up with. <laughs> David, you hear that noise? Oh my god, my bus is leaving. <laughs> no, David, that is not... The horn of a bus, that is a horn calling us to action. Because on this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes, but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting the Inside Books Project. Inside Books Project is an Austin-based community service volunteer organization that sends free books and educational materials to prisoners in Texas. The project works to promote reading, literacy, and education among incarcerated individuals and to educate the general public on issues of mass incarceration. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to Inside Books Project. Also, for every review we get on Apple Podcast, we'll add $1 to that donation. If it's a good review, you bet your ass we'll read it on air. For more information on Inside Books Project or to donate money or books directly to them, visit Inside InsideBooksProject.org. And folks, that is another episode of Punch Mountain. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain, or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week, let's do another Mountain Slayer pick from 1982 and directed by George Miller. It's the Road Warrior, Mac. Oh, heck yeah. I'm, I'm pumped. I am too. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.